0: welcome to fucking canceled a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it and what it'll be like once we've done it in today's episode we'll be talking about social media as an expression of neoliberal capitalism as well as social media's effects on our bodies our social behavior and the production of truth hi
1: hi goes hi La journée never goes. Bonjour. Hi. Bonjour. Hi. Bonjour. Hi. The la journée never goes. Bonjour. Hi. Bonjour. Hi. Bonjour. Hi. The la journée never goes.
0: Hi. So we're back.
2: We're back podcasting again.
0: It's episode 4. Um and today we're going to be talking about social media um as one of the aspects of the nexus.
2: Yeah, so uh, in the first episode, we introduced the nexus as this concept, which is just like uh, basically the combination of like identitarianism, cancel culture, and social media. And today, yeah, we're going to be talking a bunch about uh, social media and how it fits into all that. Um, But first, we have a very special announcement.
0: Yeah, so um, as you guys know, the listeners, um, Mm -hmm. I'm a writer. Um, And I put out zines all the time Um, And I recently just put out a new project That I thought would be particularly interesting To the listeners of this pod Um, It's called Fuck the police means we don't act like cops to each other And it's basically like my cancel culture zine It's the writing That I have um, Produced on cancel culture Over maybe a little over A year or so um, All collected into one place And like When I first sort of started doing this kind of writing, I was super, super nervous about it. I a couple of the pieces originally appeared in, in my zine, Fucking Magic, and I was like super fucking nervous to be writing about these things. I was like really, really scared that it was going to lead to me being canceled. Um, and so, I <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I didn't really, I mean, maybe a little bit, but basically I was canceled anyway um, yeah, as, yeah, yeah. as as it goes. But Yeah. So like, I initially started to kind of be brave and talk about these topics, like, you know, a little over a year ago, I think maybe even longer. Um, but I, I had written a few pieces, um, in fucking magic and, you know, I was writing about it on social media and I was like starting to kind of express my views on this. And then this past summer when I was brutally canceled, um, I started to write more about it. Um, and actually become a lot more like outspoken and direct, um, about, um, my views on this topic. And some of those pieces appeared on my Patreon, but I have never published them in a zine before. And so basically the zine just like collects all of that work into one place. Um, and it's basically just, yeah, my thoughts, um, and the writing that I've done on cancel culture so far, as well as some other topics that are like related because it is situated in an abolitionist framework. So It's like, if we don't believe in the cops and we also don't believe in canceling people, what do we do? And like, how do we um, deal with interpersonal conflict? How do we like intervene on like violent situations? How do we like enact boundaries? So how do we take responsibility when we have done things that we regret or that are out of alignment with our integrity? So there's some writing on like those topics as well as like writing that, Explores what cancel culture is and why it's fucked up. So, if people are interested in that and you want to check it out, it's available on my website, which is claudemontaymorgan.com.
2: Yeah, it's a fucking good zine. I have the first copy. I would like uh, the record to <laughs> the record to show. Um,
0: yeah. J-H-P. I also
2: stole the original out of the garbage when you threw it away. Oh yes, um, my
0: my glued my hand scissors and glue version that I throw out after I make the the photocopied flat.
2: Yeah, so um, I'm gonna sell it. <laughs> <laughs> So if was, anyone wants to buy that off me, uh, get in touch.
0: <laughs> I don't think anyone wants that. But also, I will say that Jay helped me log the first 100 copies home from the copy shop. So thank you.
2: It did. You're welcome.
0: Okay, so that's the announcement. So I guess we will introduce today's topic a little bit.
2: Yeah. So again, uh, we want to talk about social media. It is the ocean that we swim in. It is um, It structures like a lot of what we do um, in the modern world. <laughs> um you know it started out as this sort of like interesting technology and now it's just like fundamental part of like the economic base of the fucking society that we live in um it really influences us in so many different ways and it influences um our, our politics and how we perform politics and how we like think about politics um and thus necessarily it is uh, an integral part of the nexus
0: yeah and as the podcast like continues on we're gonna have episodes where we do like a closer look. Um, at the different parts of the nexus um, and so this is the first one that we're doing on social media we'll probably do others in the future because it's a really big topic um, but yeah we want to give you some some ideas and some of the framework that we're working with when we're talking about social media
2: yeah so we're we kind of broke it into four parts um we wanted to talk about. Social media as an expression of neoliberal capitalism. Um, basically, how you know it's not inevitable that it would look this way. Um, it, it looks the way it does because of a very specific sort of like economic um, um, background under in which it, it arose. You know, um, and it also expresses many of the sort of um, uh, the characteristics of neoliberalism, right? And then it also um, social media has all these effects on our bodies, our physical bodies that we live in. Um, so we talk about those. Um, we talk about the effects of social media on our social behavior. Cause I think, I mean, well, sorry, we both think that that's like a really, um, profound change that has taken place like, uh, in the past, you know, mm-hmm. 10 to 15 years, yeah. like how the internet and specifically social media has really like modified the way that we, uh, conceive our social relationships. Um, and then, yeah, like the, the effects on the production of truth, that social media has which is like a really interesting phenomenon as well um because it's, it's transformed that in various ways um so yeah those are all the things that we're going to get into um i think before we even get into it though we wanted to mention yeah um we had such a nice article written well i mean it was mostly written like kind of to clementine but it, it was brought written, up our yeah. podcast.
0: yeah it was kind of written as a letter to me um which was like pretty intense um to read, just to like read an article that is like directed to me. I mean, Jay felt a little left out. (laughs) Um, But I think the reason that it was directed towards me is because the person who wrote the article, um, her name's Sam, and she's um, known on Instagram as Shrimp Teeth. Um, And she's an educator um, who does work around sexuality and polyamory.
2: It was like such a lovely fucking article. Yeah.
0: And like, I mean, I was just going to say, I think the reason that it was directed towards me is because this person is, a, is an Instagram person um, and I'm an Instagram person and I actually feel, and Jay, you're like weirdly anonymous. Nobody knows who you are. <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm not an Instagram person. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, And so like, yeah, I think people who are like, um, sort of like, well-known on Instagram have a lot of followers. Um. We, we experience like a really intense version of the stuff that we're going to get into in this episode. So I think there's like a certain level of like, um, solidarity that can be had there. But anyway, the article, um, if you guys are interested in reading it, it's called Canceling Canceling. Um, and it's, um, on Sam's blog, which you can find at shrimpteeth.com and we'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, it was like a really beautiful, brave, like expression. Of like dissent, basically. Like she is someone who has a really huge following on Instagram, is like an educator and whose like literal job is tied to her social media presence. So she has to be there. Um, and, you know, she's experienced a lot of harassment and a lot of like, um, you know, the the kind of like mobbing and intense um, pylons that, that people experience on um, social media.
2: Yeah, it sounds like she has a rough go of it sometimes. Yeah, man.
0: but I think everybody does who, like, has a big following.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, about, like, in woke world, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah,
0: exactly, um, in the Nexus. And so, like, basically, yeah, she was talking about how, like, she was sort of hitting a breaking point with it, and she was, like, basically, like, should I quit my job? Should I stop doing this kind of work? Like, it's so bad for my mental health, you know? And then she listened to our podcast, and it was, like, really um, – like it affected her. And I think it seems to me based on like reading the article that it's, it allowed her to, to say what she really thinks. Cause it's like, not like the ideas that we were saying in the podcast were, were not things that she already thought. It seems like she was thinking these things, but she was kind of afraid to talk about it. Um, and just like hearing another person talk about it or other people talk about it, like helped to give her some language around it and helped her to also find the courage to like speak out against it. Um, and like one of the aspects that was like really interesting and like kind of a big deal for me is that she actually talks about in the article, how she like low key took part in my cancellation. Um She says that I didn't even know about this, but apparently I was added to a list of problematic influencers or yeah. like canceled influencers. Yeah, um, like a
2: cancel list.
0: Yeah. Um, which I, I hadn't even heard about that, but it doesn't surprise me. And basically, yeah, she like admits in the article, she's like, I, I had no idea the specifics of what you were accused of. And honestly, I didn't give a shit. And she admits that like her doing that was about like protecting her brand and like not associating herself with someone who'd been canceled because cancellation is um, contagious. And like even having any kind of association with someone who's been canceled or like even not making a cancellation statement against another like person. Because we do similar work. works. So I do work on polyamory too. So like um, that kind of like weirdly makes her like... Like there, there becomes an expectation that she needs to call me out because we both do similar work. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, she admitted that like she took part in that basically for like self-preservation reasons, and she apologized to me in the um in the article and was like, "I'm sorry for doing that." And I'm like, "Wow, you know, like that's it's so like nice um and moving to see someone be like." yeah, I acted in ways that were like not in alignment with my integrity. And I did that because I was trying to preserve myself in an abusive culture that was basically demanding that I do this. Um, but upon reflection, this is not in alignment with my integrity and I don't want to take part in this abusive culture anymore. And I don't want to contribute to other people's cancellations, especially because she knows what it's like to be harassed like that, you know? Um so I found that to be super, super moving um and um uh, powerful to to read. So I really recommend that people check it out. I mean, not just because she apologized to me, that was nice, but
1: <laughs> no, also No, but in,
2: in its own right, it's like a really good contribution to the whole Um, discourse around cancellation and like the nexus that we're trying to build from the left right Um, because whatever there's plenty of things bitching about like political correctness or whatever from the right um, but not as much as we would like from the left you know
0: yeah Um, absolutely and like she is like her politics are left she's trying to contribute to building a world in which people are treated with like dignity and respect and yeah she's not she's not being an asshole and like she's genuinely coming from a place of wanting to like enact politics in a way that has integrity and is in alignment with like her values and principles. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, Fuck yeah. Okay. So we talked about the article. Um, Do you want to maybe share with, audience a little bit about your own experiences with social media or- so
2: i'm a i'm a recovering social media addict um <laughs> like yeah i don't know i've always been really into it I, I was like one of the first like wave of people to get on facebook like when they opened it up to people who weren't in uh, in university i was like a kid you know um and you know before that i was on like zanga and like myspace and like whatever you know um i was deep into it i was a young one mm, i i like, for a long time, I was really, really active on Facebook, um, which, you know, lots of people were, like, um, sometimes pissed off by what I wrote. Other people really liked it. Um, but basically, I was constantly getting into trouble on Facebook because I would, whatever, you know, have opinions, some of which were, in retrospect, like, kind of dumb, some of which were kind of smart, whatever. Um, but I, I liked to engage with ideas on, on Facebook, right? Um, eventually, like, the kind of atmosphere on Facebook got... To be really fucking weird for me. Like, basically, I was just sort of like, uh, I'm constantly like walking on eggshells. I feel like when I do like say things that are sort of like outside of the like range of like, I don't know, orthodox, like woke positions, like I just get so much pushback and it's so fucking annoying. And it's always like these sort of like uh, really like ad hominem attacks, right? Um, and it was just stressing me out, you know? And but apart from being stressed out by like sort of like censorship or whatever, like I was, I was being like, it was like fucking ruining my nervous system. Like mm-hmm. I, I just I was I was like a wreck from it. You know it was it was ridiculous. At a certain point, I got rid of Facebook. I, I deactivated my account. I haven't been on it in, in months and months and months, almost like a year actually. I think. Um, but I got into Instagram instead. You know,
1: classic classic
2: uh, replacement, <laughs> right? Um, so I stopped using Facebook. I started using something else. Um, and Instagram at, at the beginning like was cool because it was basically just like pictures and I I purposefully made my friends list really small um and I also didn't I didn't follow like anyone who I didn't follow anyone who wasn't like a friend of mine literally except for animals doing things because that was a (laughs) a great page um but what that meant was that my excuse me my Instagram feed would end right like at a certain point I would scroll all the way through and then it was over you know and so I love that I was like I can literally just scroll to the end and i have done social media for the day, you know? Right. Um, but eventually, you know, my lists are growing and also there started to be more content. Like people started using Instagram more. Mm-hmm. And then Instagram got very, like, sort of like politicized. Um, and then it got to be the point where, like, I don't know, it was just, uh, it was the same as Facebook again. Like, it was like these, it was like very political, but like very, like, short, little bite sized. Um, like nibbits of i just made that word up, a nibbit of um of politics you know and like you know whatever it was like kind of discouraged to have like actual discussions and like people get very mad at everything that you would say and like all this kind of thing um but also again apart from all that i was just like it is fucking ruining my nervous system man i, I cannot use instagram responsibly like it's just impossible mm-hmm. you know um and i hated that and uh so i'm off Instagram too. Um, and, uh, now I just have to like deal with my overriding like screen addiction mm-hmm. in other ways, you know, but at least it's like that, uh, that system of like dopamine and, uh, adrenaline, um, that keeps you hooked on social media is no longer operating in my life, which is nice.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but yeah, so I've been off for like a while. Um, and I don't really have a desire to be back on. Like I think about it and I sort of like, it's kind of like when I think about drinking, you know, yeah. like I, I have like an initial kind of like weird, like I have like a, an ambivalent rush where I'm sort of like, part of me is like, mm. yeah. you know, like, I, what if I just went on there? Yeah. What if I just looked a little bit, you know? Yeah. And then another part of me is like, play that tape till the end, you know? And and I'm just like, okay. So like in five hours, I'm going to be scrolling fucking in an argument with somebody fucking like getting myself canceled for something else. Fucking, um, you know, just like totally, uh, dissociated, like crooking my neck, fucking like, yeah all fucked up, like, uh, freaking out. So yeah, I don't, I don't want that.
0: Yeah. How I mean, <laughs> I guess for me, like I kind of, I mean, okay. I was a baby on the internet for sure. Like I was like, well, not the way that babies are babies on the internet today. Cause I was in the first generation when like internet was like kind of a thing when you were like becoming a teenager, Um, and so when I was like really young, like 13 and stuff, I was on like these like diary websites. Um, and actually those were super positive for me. They were, it was like totally anonymous. The internet used to be anonymous. So you just had like a name, but like no picture, you know? And like I was like gay on the internet back when I was like a closeted little 13 year old and I like met other gay teenagers, um, that I could talk to and like that was like wholesome and sweet. Um, and then I had like a live journal phase, but like, due to my crazy life, like, I really didn't have, like, I did have MySpace for, like, a little bit, but then, like, I just really didn't have a lot of internet access for, like, a bunch of years um, because I was busy being, like, a drunk and, like, didn't even always have a computer at home. And so it wasn't until, like, I didn't even have a cell phone until I was, like, 20. I think I was, like, 23 when I got my first cell phone, which is, like, pretty unusual, you know? And then... I started to, like, get on – I had Facebook sort of in my early 20s, but, like, I didn't really use it that much. And it wasn't until I got sober, so, like, after I was 25, that I started to use um, Facebook. Um, and, like, I would go to, like, the public library and, like, use their, like, 15-minute computer access and, like, get high off of it. Right, yeah. You know? Like, mm-hmm. I was just like, what's happening on Facebook? <laughs> yeah. You know? Um. And then, eventually, I got Instagram. And I, I always loved Instagram more. Like, Instagram is 100% my drug of choice. Like – oh, that fucking Instagram, you know? And so I guess for me, it's always been complicated because it's like, there's like my personal sort of use of, of social media, but then there's also like my job as a writer, um, and a person who's like runs a small business and is trying to promote my work. Right. And so the lines of that have been blurry. Um, but at a certain point there became this shift where like Instagram was my job, you know, um, about a year ago, You know, prior to that, like, I was already, like, kind of known. You know, I had an audience for sure. Um, but my Instagram was still sort of like a personal Instagram in a lot of ways, and I had, like, a few thousand followers. Then I made the decision to start making these text posts, um, those little squares with writing on them that are like so popular. The um, iconic
2: <laughs> uh, Clementine Black Square.
0: I mean, yeah, but like lots of people do it, right? And I had noticed that people did it and it seemed like a popular form. And I'm like, I'm a writer. I have lots of things to say. This seems like an interesting way to like get my ideas out. And so I started yeah. to do that. Um, and like my, as soon as I started to do that, my, my follower count just like completely blew up. And so I went from being kind of like a sort of known writer in certain circles to being like an Instagram like influencer, Um, and now I have like sixty thousand followers, which is crazy. Um, And so it's weird because it's like, on the one hand, you know, this has been amazing because it has really allowed me. Like when I made the decision to go full time as a writer, I was fucking broke, and I mean like my entire twenties, I was. I had no money, you know? Um, And then deciding to like try to go full-time as a writer, like I was really struggling to get by, to pay my rent, et cetera. Um, but having this following meant that I could sell a lot more of my zines. I could like reach more people and therefore I could like have money for the first time in my life. And also like as a writer, obviously I want to reach my audience. Right. So it's like really important to me in a lot of ways. And I value like having that platform and being able to like share my ideas on a large scale. And also like literally for my, my job, like if I don't post, I don't get sales. And like, that's literally how I pay my rent. I need to make sales. So it's kind of important. And I was thinking about how, like, yeah, like I feel the same way. It's like fucked up for my nervous system. I i am super addicted to it. I have no fucking control over how long I'm on there. I like hours disappear and I'm like, what the fuck? Um, it's like very dysfunctional the way that I use it. Like on the one hand, you know, social media is designed to be addictive. On the other hand, I'm a fucking addict. So like, it's super dysfunctional. But I was thinking about how like, basically, because like all these times I keep swearing it off. I keep being like, I'm going to stop or like, I'm going to, I'm only going to use it for like this amount of time, like in a day. And like, I've tried and I've tried all these different things. And, you know, there's been times where I quit social media for like a whole year, like even, but this was before it was such a, before it was part of my job that like a few years ago, I quit social media for a year. So I knew that, like I know I'm capable of doing it, but yeah, once I'm once I'm doing it, it's like really fucking hard to moderate it, which is the classic addict dilemma, you know? Um, yeah, for
2: sure. I've I've never been able to moderate it even slightly. Yeah, right? and like
0: I had some success. Like there's been times where I've been like I put a timer on, I go on for like 20 minutes and I stop, you know, and like that's when it's the healthiest for me. But like inevitably, I always stop and I go back to this like dysfunctional relationship. And then on top of that, add the stress of cancellation and being canceled at like a very fucking large scale. And it's like incredibly stressful to be online. And like, I actually think the shrimp teeth article describes it beautifully. Just like how stressful it is to have that many people projecting on you, being so angry at you, like accusing you of shit, like bulldozing through your boundaries all the time. It's like extremely, extremely overwhelming. And I don't think people realize how overwhelming that is. Because it's overwhelming for anyone, but when you put that to the level of tens of thousands of people, it's like extremely overwhelming. Um, but yeah, I was basically thinking like, I basically have a job, like to make an analogy, I basically have a job that asks me to like drink a beer twice a week, you know, right. which is like not possible for me. I can't drink a beer twice a week. I'm an right. alcoholic, <laughs> right. right.
1: Right.
0: you know? And so, but like sobriety in the sense of like full abstinence is like not really possible for me with the job that I have. And so it's like a huge... Um, it's a huge issue for me and I don't know the answer.
2: I actually just had a thought like it's totally random but like somebody like somebody who's good at like programming shit should make like like skins for social media sites that that just undo all of the addict like um all of the like addictive characteristics of like social media, you know, that'd be so interesting. Yeah. Like right. make it all like gr- gray and boring with like no notifications and like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm sure it would be like highly illegal and they would get like sued by Instagram and stuff. Yeah, probably. Um, but anyway, so that's basically my sort of background with social media. I'm currently fucking addicted to it. I'm trying yeah. to be less addicted to it. I, I like, swore I was not going to go on it for a whole week, and then I, like, went on it after two days, and then I was like, I feel so bad. What am I doing? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's that's where I'm at. I'll give you an update, let you know how that goes.
2: Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, okay. Let's get into it, man. Um, yeah. So, like, the first thing that we wanted to talk about, I think, is how social media intersects with, like, economic factors and how it really is an expression of neoliberal capitalism in a very specific way. So, I mean... Yeah. I guess first we should sort of, like, talk about what neoliberalism actually is, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of badly defined, honestly, but I think it's a very useful term because it really does capture this kind of, like, vibe of, like, the current yeah. zone, uh, the current, like, era of capitalism yeah. that we live under, right? Yeah. So, like, basically neoliberalism is you got your... Deregulation, you got your individualization, you got um, everything is mediated by the market. Um, Like the state is rolled back, like all non market institutions also rolled back, everything is mediated by the market. You know, you got um, the financialization of the economy. So everything is sort of like, it's all wrapped up in these um, really complicated, chains of who owns what and it's like there's like no such thing as like a factory with an owner anymore mm-hmm, you know like mm-hmm. the economy is completely not like that anymore yeah and um, it's interesting
0: like that i mean that makes me think of like the phenomenon of like Uber and like Airbnb and all of these things were like before, like it used to be more sort of concrete, like a taxi company or like a hotel, whereas now everything is like, I guess the expression that sums up neoliberalism is the idea of everything being downloaded to the individual. Um, So like, yeah, workers are contractors now and like, um, yeah, like the erosion of like any kind of like labor movement and like all of that.
2: Yeah, and they they call that individualization or responsabilization. It's yeah. the other like term for yeah. that, right? And I think like even with like COVID, right? It's like uh yeah. you have to go get your own mask and absolutely. wear it all the time exactly. and it's just like all the responsibility is on like the individual. It's like are we going to like waive rent for the next year or something? No, absolutely uh, not. Yeah. Um or like are we going to like let's say even like build new hospitals? It's like no, we don't do that in the west anymore. Yeah. We literally just make you do everything. Yeah. Uh so that's like an example of responsabilization and for sure. And then there's these other characteristics of um new liberal that apply very especially to social media. And I think like some of those are the rise of AI um, and automation, but AI and automation as controlled by capitalists, yeah. right? Like not ever like socialized. Yeah. Um, then there's, uh, well, yeah, we talked about individualization, but just like also not even I- just individualization, but like alienation and atom- yeah. atomization so that like people, individuals are very much like um, just – All their sort of like connections with other people, like social connections, like real physical, like face-to-face social interactions are sort of like getting chopped off one by one. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and I think also part of where you can see that is like – kind of like the idea of like where is there like community space anymore like i talk about this a lot but like how do people meet people like they meet people like on tinder you know yeah um people's relationships are like on social media the idea of there used there used to be like community centers and like um even just
2: like church yeah
0: things like church like there used to be um much more um of like a network of like social institutions in which people physically spent time with each other and like the concept of like not knowing your neighbors um feeling more in community with like strangers. Um, in a different country who like perhaps share some kind of identity trait um, but not with like the people who are literally in your community who you like live next door to and hear everything that they're doing through the walls you know yeah
2: shout out to Clementine's neighbor who uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to have on the pod sometimes he yeah. just hears all of what we do um, and then one other thing yeah is that everything is like fucking mediated by tech companies and yeah. like um, Clementine just just mentioned this but yeah like Uber, Lyft, Airbnb um, and all of the other like
0: Amazon, million
2: and one tech companies that like literally rule the world right now, um, and like you know Biden just appointed like all of their fucking people to his cabinet. Yeah. Like they just they run the U.S. right now, um, and have made so much money through this pandemic as a total aside. Yeah, but um, yeah, so briefly, that's a lot of um, those are a lot of sort of like characteristics or, or descriptors of neoliberalism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to social media,
0: yeah. One thing before we move on, yeah, I just also want to say, um. Uh, there's a good episode of the Deb Pundit Society that okay. we can put in the show notes where they talk about what is uh, neoliberalism. Because I feel like neoliberalism is like one of these um, words that gets thrown around constantly. Like everyone's always like, it's neoliberalism. Um, and I'm like, it's true, like that it's, it's rare for us to actually like hear a clear description of like what that is. Totally. Um, and to actually like make sense that it's a specific thing. It's like a historically specific thing. Totally. Um, and that... That it means something, you yeah. know, um, and so we've tried to give a little bit of an explanation of that. But um, we'll link this uh, this podcast episode as well because it, it it explains it well, I think.
2: Absolutely, and I really encourage people to sort of like try to get a good grip of 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 what neoliberalism is because it's like an important term. um yeah. And if you want to understand what's going on in the world, like it really can help explain a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to spend too much time on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the interesting aspects of social media that really vibes with the neoliberal kind of like zeitgeist or or whatever um, is how within social media, we are, as individuals, both the product and kind of the worker mm-hmm. um, in that we create the content. Like Facebook doesn't create any content. We create content on Facebook or Instagram, yeah. right? Um, and then we are the product in the sense that what Facebook sells is not Facebook. What Facebook sells is you, your eyes looking at an advertiser, yeah. and they sell that to an advertiser. Yeah.
0: So, like a way of thinking about it is just that, like, um, the product is our attention, yeah. and our attention is being sold to advertisers. Um, but the way in which, because if it was just a bunch of ads, nobody would go on Facebook or, right. or Instagram. So they need something to, to you know, make us want to be on these apps. And so the the actual content that keeps us sucked into these apps is something that we produce for these apps and we are not paid for it, you know? So like we create the content, um, which sucks in our peers so that our peers can have their attention sold to various advertisers and make, um, Instagram, Totally rich.
2: Right. And so, I mean, honestly, in that way, it's similar to things like Uber Mm -hmm. or whatever, where like Uber does not own any vehicles, right? Uber just has an app, right? And the people who like do the labor for Uber are the ones who have to bring all the actual like material equipment, right? So Uber did not have to put down any capital um, in terms of of the... uh, the actual, like, you know, service that is being offered, yeah. right? They didn't have to lay down any capital for yeah. that. They, they have offloaded it or downloaded it onto exactly. the individual. Exactly. right? And it's the same fucking thing with social media. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, like, there's this weird way with social media in which we are actually at work when we are on social media, which is quite disturbing to think about because so many people use social media as, like, a way to, like, as leisure, as a way to, like, sort of unwind or relax once they leave their jobs, you know? And so it's like quite disturbing to think that actually we are currently at work when we are on, um, social media, we're not getting paid for it, but we're actually at work for like Instagram or Facebook or whatever, Twitter, or whatever your, your drug of choice is. Um, and so like this also like kind of goes hand in hand with this idea that has become really normal, um, under social media, which is that all of us sort of have begun to treat ourselves like brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really weird because it's like, for some people, their social media presence is like directly related to um, their job. So like somebody like me, it's like Clementine Morgan. Well, yes, I am a writer. And so like, I am selling a product. That's like my zines. That's like, you know, my books, Um, you know? And so like, I am sort of like presenting myself as somebody who is um, selling a product, but it I am actually not selling you Clementine Morgan, but it's weird because like, I have been encouraged to like relate to myself that way. And to see Clementine Morgan as a product that I'm selling you, um, which I totally resist. I'm like, I am not a brand. Um, I am a writer and I write zines, which you can buy if you want. Um, but then there's other people who like are not, um, they are not selling anything. Like they literally like work Um, at the mall or whatever, you know, and they have a job that they do. And then they come online, but there's this like new social norm, which I think is like very um, indicative of this like neoliberal capitalist um, way of thinking, which is that all of us are are kind of brands all the time, even if it's not our real job, because in some kinds of ways, like we are getting something from it, whether that's like social capital or, um, yeah, often it is social capital and like sort of like simulated friendship and community that like if I perform this brand in a certain way and I get enough likes, um, I guess I'm cooler. And therefore, like maybe I have some more social security in this hellscape where we have no social security anymore.
2: Yeah. And your um you're subjected to the kind of scrutiny that a corporation might be subjected yeah. to in terms of its like public relations. Exactly. Right? And so, corporations like you know, if they're uh, murdering too many sort of like unionized workers in South America or something, they might have like a bad PR time. So they're like, okay, so we I don't know, we slap some rainbows and some shit, yeah, or like whatever it is, right? And then and then they're like, okay, so now we're like a good woke corporation, yeah, um, and. And that's like one way to deal with like a public relations crisis you know and obviously like real people are not like the murdering unionists I yeah hope
1: yeah you
2: shouldn't do that yeah um but we do also now all have our own little pr departments yeah. in our head um and we have to present a version of ourselves on social media um That is sort of congruent with our brand, you know, and I think that most people who are like into social media do this to some extent, right? There's also some people who like don't care about social media and like they just don't do this. Um, But I think that we are really encouraged to do this right and you know, so we try to make sure that all of our content um, Mm -hmm. is like sort of like of a certain caliber or a certain kind, you know, we make sure that our pics are all really good, you know, and that like the lighting is good on our photos and like and also that our political takes that we that we are sort of like encouraged to put out there um, are the right ones.
0: Yeah. Our politics become a part of our brands. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like quite disturbing. Like, po- like politics becomes about performativity and there is like an imperative to perform these politics. So like it doesn't actually matter what you're doing in your day-to-day life. Like in your day-to-day life, you might have this like rich political life. You might be like volunteering somewhere, you know, you might be, people don't know what you're doing, like what, how you're spending your time. Like if you're taking care of people in your life, if you're like making food for your sick friend, if you're like involved in some kind of socialist group in your community or whatever it is, like it's kind of like that if it's, if there's no picture, it didn't happen kind of thing. It's yeah. like a similar thing where it's like, if you're not posting what your politics are, if you're not making the statement and not just any statement, but like the exact right statement, which is, you know, always changing. Um, and you could fail at your statement for like, you know, wording or like timing. Um, but right. you're expected to make these statements. And like, it's, it is, it's like company PR. It's like, if you don't do this, like we've seen this happen to actual companies. Um, where they get like, you know, people get really mad at them for like not making a political statement about something, but we're also doing this, like our friends and to, um, to individuals, um, we're expecting them to perform their politics as part of their brands. And it's like, honestly, you don't know what somebody's political life is like, unless you know them and you know what their life is like, because Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, or Twitter is not reflective of reality. It's reflective of what people choose to post. And like people may or may not want to use social media like that.
2: For sure. And I think like, how can I put this? Like, I don't think that like every single thing that anyone posts on social media is sort of this like fake shallow performance. Right. I don't think that at all, but I do think that any, any person who's willing to like, honestly look at their own behavior on social media, any person within woke world anyway, um, within the nexus, like will be able to say honestly that they have you know, maybe posted something they didn't agree with because they knew it would be good for their sort of like image on social media or that if they didn't post it, it would be bad for their image on yeah. social media um, or they've, you know, reposted something like without thinking about it at all just because they're expected to um, and this kind of thing. And I think that it's just very like – it's all tied up in this performative like brand thing, you know? Yeah. And yeah, again, like it's – calling it performative doesn't mean that everyone is just like constantly being fake you know but no. there there is like a certain element of like um shallowness of thought that that arises from that Yeah
0: and also i mean part of the reason like that we call it performance is because i don't think that just because a person is performing politics doesn't mean that they don't actually genuinely have politics Right. but it's just the fact that like the performance itself is so fundamentally shallow and so i sometimes think that the reason that people may not want to post is because it feels it feels almost like dishonest or insulting. Like it doesn't actually do justice to the intensity of the, of, of what they feel
1: for sure. You know,
0: like they might, you've written about yeah, this. Like yeah. Like they might feel like really like, a, like I'm thinking of climate change right now, but like, there's like many other issues, obviously that people feel deeply fucking impacted by that, that they are having like a fucking trauma response to that. They feel really fucked up about it. And that they want to create meaningful change around, you know, and they might have really deep politics and they might be, you know, thinking really hard about what they can do to try to, you know, implement active change. But this idea that, like, they have to make this post, that that's sort of, like, the dues that they have to pay to sort of be online and not be harassed, you know? Um, it's like, it's so, it doesn't do it justice. Like, I can't make a little Instagram post that is going to tell you, you know, um, and I'm really good at that. I can make Instagram posts that, that (laughs) sum shit up really uh, succinctly, but it's like, I can't actually, um, like, put together like the intensity of my grief and my um, emotional overwhelm. And also like the questions that I'm asking about what kind of political work would be most effective, like, it's a whole fucking thing, you know? And so, you know, I think that when I say like, yeah, performative, I'm not saying that that means people don't have politics, and they're just pretending to, but but it just means that like, they are creating a performance because it's demanded of them. And that what their politics actually are, and the intensity of those politics may not be even expressible in that kind of a performance you know
2: for sure for sure i mean it also makes me think of the fact that like let's say somebody who is running a corporation right like um happens to be like actually kind of a good guy which definitely happens right like not everyone who is sort of like high up in the capitalist structure is like a fucking psycho <laughs> hashtag right?
1: not, all capitalist. <laughs> not all capitalists
2: right <laughs> no but you know like whatever some like corporate guy right yeah. and he's like in charge of some sort of like part of a corporation he's like well like maybe we could actually like do some um Uh, some cleanup of like the town where our like headquarters is or something. We're going to sponsor like a thing. You're right. Like no board would ever let him get away with doing that without telling everyone of course you have to tell everyone that's like the only way that a corporation is yeah. ever going to do anything like that right as like a unit right yeah like, regardless of what the individual people within the corporation might want to do yeah right? um because it's part of the logic of it and i think that 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 really plays into how it yeah. works with individuals too right and it's
0: interesting because um just to like bring up 12 steps again like in 12 steps where we're, there's often like an idea Um, in some 12-step fellowships more than others. But there's this idea of, like, you should do something good and not tell on yourself. Um, There's this idea of, like, humility and that, like, there's, like, a resistance to the idea of, like, doing um, good in the world so that you can, like, show it off, you know? Um, And in a certain way, like, I do agree with that. Like, my... Because, like, I... My Instagram is my work. And, like, I am getting paid um, through my zine sales for, like, the work that I do, right? But, like, my activism and my political work is not fucking for sale you know and I don't want that to be like a cool check box that I'm checking to like make people want to buy from my zines you know right. like I feel like that really cheapens political work and it's kind of gross um so I don't I don't want to perform politics like that and so like the shit that I do people may or may not know about because I may or may not like I might write about it in my zines but I'm not gonna make a performative not advertising yeah I'm not advertising yeah. I'm not making a performative post about my politics so that I seem good like that is it doesn't sit with my integrity yeah. um yeah so I guess the only other thing on this topic that I just wanted to mention um before we move on is the idea of um like the intersections of cancel culture and social media as a labor issue so like for for some people, you know, we've, we've said that like everybody's basically acting like this is their job and everybody is to a certain extent at work when they're on social media and that's true. But for some people, it literally is their job. And I think the the shrimp teeth article does an amazing job of like going into this. Like people really do this thing with like Instagram influencers or people with big followings where they simultaneously like put these people on a pedestal and then also like viciously come for them, right? Um And there's people kind of treat people who are on Instagram for work as if it's the same as if they're just on it for, for the hell of it. Like if they're just on it the way that other people are on it. And it's like, it's actually kind of different when you're on it and you're literally at work. Um, and I've been thinking about how this kind of harassment and like the really intense like pylons are literally a labor issue for people who are trying to make a living and a big part of their job is being on social media how we don't have any kind of, um, any way of being like, Hey guys, I'm at work. Like this is my job and you're harassing me at the workplace, like in a really intense and overwhelming way that is preventing me from doing my job. Um, one of the things that happens when there's like, um, big political issues going on is there's this idea that like people are only allowed to post on social media about that political issue. um, And if anybody continues to post about anything else, they get harassed and canceled for doing that and first of all i'm like it's fine to post a picture of your dog even if there's like horrible things happening in the
2: world or like, it was fine for shrimp teeth to post a picture of going to the beach
0: exactly like i don't agree with that even for people who it's not their job i'm like you can social media is not just about political activism you can care deeply about fucked up things that are happening in the world and still want to like post a picture of your dog or the beach or your partner or like whatever i you think could post fine.
2: exclusively pictures of your yeah, dog and, 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 it would be and fine. i think
0: it's fine i think it's fine and it does. Doesn't say anything about your commitment to political struggle because, like I said, people don't know what your commitment to political struggle is based on your, your internet performances. But for people who it's literally their job, like telling someone that they can't post anything about their work for two weeks is literally the same as telling someone that they can't go to work for two weeks, you know? It has a huge impact on people's ability to pay rent. To pay rent, like quite literally. Um, and so yeah, I think people have this weird relationship to people who are. Um, in some kind of way using social media as part of their job where people are like, you know, um, like there's this accusation often thrown around with the word profiting. You're profiting off of this. And it's like, well, yes, I'm profiting off of my job. It's my job to, um, sell zines to you. sell zines. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. And, um, it's what I do for a living and advertising my work, um, is part of that. And yeah, I do, um, I do make a profit off of that. It's, it's how I make my money. Um, and like, I have a right as a worker to, to, to do my job, you know? And so anyway, like it's, it's kind of a bigger topic than, than this, um, episode and maybe we'll come back to it sometime, but I've actually been in touch with the IWW to talk to them about this and be like, you know, have other people been, you know, talking about this? Like, how can we talk about, um, social media through the lens of labor. And like, how can we talk about workers' rights who are literally just trying to do their job and make sure that they can pay their rent that month who are being like canceled and harassed? Um, yeah. Cause I'm just like in other kinds of working situations, we have some degree of protection against this, even with the erosion of like labor rights, there's still some degree of protection. You can't go to people's workplaces and just scream at them. Um, and so I'm like, but for influencers, that's basically, uh, the reality. And I don't personally think of myself as an influencer. I'm yeah, a writer. I, mean, I
2: was gonna say, right? Because it's like there's there's a difference between like you like using social media to advertise your work and also to have like a like a basically like, an outsized like voice, like a voice that's bigger than your normal voice, so that you can like yell at people about your work. Um, <laughs> there's a difference between that and these people who whatever, like like nobody is offering you like a, a contract that where you like wear like a pair of Nikes and they pay you like five million dollars. No, I, mean? I like, mean
0: my actual work is sp- Stapling and folding hundreds of zines by hand, carrying them to the post office like all fucking day. Like, that's what I like do. What Clementine does. That's all what day. I do. So that's my actual job, and Instagram is just the way that I I make my sales. You know, I don't have um, any deals with like any um, companies or anything who are giving me money, but some people do, and those people are still workers. Like I actually do consider influencers to be workers because they're they're not an independent worker like I am who runs a small business and, and whatever. They're getting paid from some company or whatever. But that's their job you know and like whatever we think about that job it's still literally their job
2: they're kind of like models or something i guess
0: there's all sorts of different ones there's like there's sex educator ones actually like there's like queers who talk about like sex like they they produce like sexual health content and then they get money from like um vibrator companies to like review their products for example this is a common thing um and i think that's fine like whatever we're all trying to survive under capitalism people are getting like i'm actually pretty lucky that i'm able to survive off of making money directly from my readers who buy my work directly from me. You know, I do have to do a lot of stapling. Um, But yeah, I'm just like, even people who are influencers or whatever, I'm like, they're still workers. And so I think there is a conversation for like um, workers' rights and like unionization around this stuff. Um, And I think that cancel culture is a labor issue. Um okay. Cool science hot take for the day.
2: Um, yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, yeah, moving on to the next section, we wanted to talk about um the effects of of social media on the body, right? Um which I think is under what's the word I'm looking for like it's not talked about enough, you mm-hmm. know. Um And yeah, so we had like a couple of things we want to talk about. We want to talk about how it affects our attention span, um, how it works with with dissociation, um, and then like basically the two ways that it um, intersects with addiction. Yeah. Um, So yeah, in terms of attention span, like I've obviously like certainly noticed that um, it is so much more difficult for me to read anything long Mm -hmm. when I've been spending a lot of time on social media. Um, The like tiny bite-sized nature of social media, it just like leaks into your brain Um, The total like glut of information that is on the internet in Mm -hmm. general but particularly in the kind of like the feed of social media like really just sort of like makes it almost seem like not worth it to like read something longer than four paragraphs because you could read so many little things at the same amount of time, you know. Um, And yeah, so it's like totally fucking smashed my um, totally. attention span you know
0: yeah and it's it's like a neurological thing like it actually oh yeah it rewires our brains to have a shorter attention span and like part of it is the um the little bite-sized information um that you're talking about part of it is i think it was in the book how to do nothing by jenny odell um she talks about basically like a poverty of context i'm not sure if that's exactly the phrase that she uses but like basically she says that like on 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 platforms like Twitter and Instagram and stuff, you just get all of these little pieces of information that are totally divorced from context. And they're all just like one after the other. Um, And so like, you might see like a picture of your friend at the beach and then you're like hearing about some huge, like human atrocity that's happened. Um, And then you're like hearing about like, whatever, like somebody's really mad about this person and they're being canceled. Um, So there's like several different things that are all just being posted, like one after the other. And we have no like kind of like way to sort of integrate that information, or to like look at each one of those pieces in the wholeness of their actual context, you know. Right. Um, and I think this has an effect on our attention too, because like it's just a weird way to relate to information. It's like a fragmented way of relating to information. Um, and then the other piece I think is is this constant um, like the notifications, the little the little red is it a little red square? I don't know if they changed it, but it's like a little heart or it's like a little number, but it tells you like, you might be looking um, at pictures and then it's like, oh, you got to like, you yeah. better go look at that, yeah. you know? And so yeah. it's, even if you're trying to just pay attention to like your scrolling, right, right. you're being distracted from the scrolling, right. which isn't a very attention rich activity to begin with right. because you're like, oh, maybe I get some dopamine, like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sort of divided attention um, is like really intense. And also- Because um, social media is so addictive, which we'll get into a little bit more in a bit, um, we really like to do it. It feels good. It feels good. It feels stressful. It feels great. Um, And so... People do it while they're doing other things. Right. Um, which really erodes our attention. So like, how often are you with someone and you're like, kind of have a conversation with them and you can see that they're like lightly like reaching for their phone or they're just glancing down at their phone. Right. It really prevents people from being present to the real life, real time interactions that are happening. The phone is buzzing in the pocket or it might not even be, but we're just like, there might be some information on the phone. I might need to look at the phone, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, totally. Totally. and people now they scroll while they watch TV. Like we can't even focus on like a whole, um, like a whole 30 minute like episode without also like periodically like looking at our phones. So I think there's like a lot to be said for what this does to our attention span and the impacts of this are huge. Like I think it erodes like our intimacy, our like ability to form like real relationships because true intimacy requires attention, you know? So to build a trusting relationship requires attention um which we are getting you know worse at because we're so addicted to social media um and also like our critical thinking skills our ability to like read a book or to like even an article that is like longer and like kind of boring and to like stay with that information for like a longer period of time is like you know and so like what effect does all of that have on our political lives and our ability to actually um create meaningful change in the world
2: It's hugely detrimental man Yeah it is like whatever i i know that the 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 number of books i read per year has just been on like a steady decline for my whole life basically <laughs> yeah
1: and i'm
0: trying like yeah. i'm trying but it's boring i'm like this book is not giving me dopamine is not personally telling me that I'm good or threatening my life in any way. So, I don't know.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly. No. But then it's also, like, when I spend less time on social media or, like, less time off my phone in general, like, I, I find it much easier, like, to read a book. Totally. because It comes we have, back because
0: we have neuroplasticity and, like, our brains – they get used to doing what they do. And so if we're constantly in this like, you know, three-second attention span kind of behavior, that's what our brains do. But if we actually train our attention to be able to have longer attention spans, then we're able to get it back for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah. And then I mean this um the three tension uh, the sorry, the three-second like attention just like haze, like where nothing lasts longer yeah. than like a couple seconds and like nothing is deeper than a couple words, um, leads us directly into the next thing which is dissociation and how like I 100% use my phone to dissociate I think that literally everybody in my age cohort does yeah um and like I I know that man and it's it's bad for me like it's like fucking bad for me um and I don't know man it's just it's sad too you know like I fucking I'll just like surface from like hours of scrolling and like I don't feel anything but like I don't feel anything. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. And it might be useful to kind of define what dissociation is for people in case they're not totally sure. But basically dissociation is a word that describes a process of basically like checking out of, of reality, checking out of the present moment in some kind of way. Um, and there's varying degrees of it and there's varying types of dissociation. Um, but it's basically a way of checking out and an important piece of that is that we dissociate for a reason. We don't dissociate for no reason. Um, we dissociate because we are feeling something intolerable. Um, and I think that that's like a really important piece of all of this. Um, and so I don't know, like I'm a huge addict. I'm a huge social media addict and I have like read tons and tons of things and like watched different videos about how to break social media addiction. There's always these like books and like articles that are like the steps to like end social media addiction. And like, they all say the same thing. Um, and like I was, I was joking with Jay earlier that like they're basically like the equivalent of telling like an alcoholic to like lock the alcohol up, you know. So it's right. like physically remove the the uh, you know the reminder of like what you want to do. So like the the advice will be like turn off the notifications on your phone, um, take the apps like off your main screen, or even delete the apps and make sure you download them each time. Um, make sure you're logging out of the apps. Um, and then even things like, you know, using a timer so that you are aware, like the timer goes off after 20 minutes or whatever. And like, I've tried all of these things and like some of them work for like a period of time, um, but they don't continue to work. And so what this has made me sort of ask myself in the same way that I have asked myself with like alcoholism is like, what am I trying to escape? You know? Um, and the fact is, is there's this like low level existential horror and dread happening in my body all the time. You know, I feel really bad. Um, and I think a lot of us do, we're isolated from real meaningful community. We are living, um, you know, in late stage capitalism with like impending ecological collapse. We, um, horrible, violent, disturbing things are happening and normalized around us all the time. It's really bleak.
2: And also, though, like, I'll say that, like, <laughs> getting on a good fucking scroll, you know, on your social media is like getting drunk or high. But in another way, it's it's like smoking. Interesting. And, and you were never a smoker, I, I was really. I never a smoker. Um, but, like... One thing I noticed is, like, when I'm stressed by anything, it doesn't have to be, like, the existential horror of being alive. It could just be that, like, um, I'm, like, worried about, like, a bill that I have to pay or something. Totally. I'll get stressed and, like, the urge to fucking check my phone is so fucking strong. It's, like, intolerable to not do it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Um,
2: And it's exactly, like, how I used to feel about wanting a cigarette, you know? The difference is that a cigarette, you smoke one and then you don't need one again for, like, a while, right? But with, like, social media, there's, like, that possibility of, like – Sinking into a scroll.
0: Yeah. And not stopping. Scroll. Yeah.
2: But also, also, maybe you're just like in an elevator or something. You get stressed out and you like look at your phone and then you like get that. A little hit. And and then you put back, right? Yeah. Um, so it kind of functions both ways. Both
0: ways, yeah, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, like I mean, I'm I think a a piece of this is kind of like a piece of the dissociation question is like, what are we trying to escape? And like, I mean, honestly, they're designed to be addictive. So it's like literally really difficult not to be addicted to social media. But I think a piece of it is that we feel like shit for various reasons. Um, and that's personal. Like each person might have various reasons. I think we share a lot of those reasons. Um, but yeah, I have complex PTSD. And like my baseline is like, very uncomfortable. Um, or it can be, you know, I can be in a triggered state for like a long time and not be aware of it and be checking out with my phone, um, in a dissociative haze that like allows me not to feel what I'm feeling. So.
2: And also like another, like a lot of other addictions like, uh, or just like substance use patterns that are harmful. Um, it is self-reinforcing. So you can get stressed about the fact that you're like on social media a lot and then mm-hmm. and then deal with that by going on social media yeah. some more, you know? Yeah. Like that's definitely like a pattern that I used to have all the time when I was drinking. Yeah. Um, I would be like, I'm an alcoholic, fuck. And then yeah. I'd like go get drunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So
0: since we're talking Speaking about addiction, about, yeah. yeah. So basically, yeah, we wanted to talk a little bit about how social media is addictive. Um, and we kind of wanted to talk about that in two separate ways. So like basically arguing that it's addictive in two distinct ways. Maybe even more. but these-
2: the, Yeah. And there are two ways that kind of like reinforce each other, but yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So the first is through this process that is called the ludic loop.
2: So Clementine introduced me to this word. I actually don't really understand what ludic loop means. Okay. So you should tell me.
0: Great. So basically, like I need to really emphasize that this was done on purpose. And I would say maliciously by social media companies. Like there's a science to this. They have studied it. They know that it works and they literally implemented it on purpose. Um, so the term ludic loop, as far as I understand, it was originally applied to gamblers, to people who are gambling. Okay. And so what the way that it works is that it's like you, you take part in a behavior that is like a lot of the time, not great, maybe even kind of negative or maybe kind of neutral, aka like with gambling, you're not winning. Right. But occasionally and randomly, so in a way that you can't predict you have a positive result. Um, so you win. So like thinking about thinking about the slot machines, right? Somebody's on a slot machine and for most of it, they're just kind of like blankly staring as they're doing their slot machine thing. But then periodically they win. And that feeling is so enticing that they're willing to continue the repetitive behavior that for the most part is not rewarding right. for those, those rewards, which are unpredictable. Um, and they... It functions through, um, dopamine. So like the neurotransmitter dopamine, um, which is a, like a neurochemical that our bodies produce basically like when we've achieved something, um, it's like a pleasurable sense of like, um, having achieved something like it evolved in our brains to sort of like reward us for having done something good in service of our survival. And it gives us like a pleasant feeling. Right. Um, so I think dopamine is one of the neurotransmitters that is like really, um, functioning with ludic loop type addictions. Um, and so in the context of social media, basically what's happening is you're like, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, like I'm dissociating and I'm scrolling and that's great. But like what I'm really here for is the dopamine hit and the dopamine hit comes in the form of likes. Um, and so, and shares now, like there's all sorts of different ways that they try to, um, implement this, but it's like when
1: notifications,
0: notifications, but the notifications are usually in some kind of way, a positive thing about you. Or like that was initially what social media was about. Yeah. Facebook
2: we, fucked it up a little bit, I think, by having too many notifications Yeah, and then it's point. And
0: then you're not getting dopamine from that because no. if I'm just getting a notification about like a group or something, I'm like, that's not giving me dopamine. This isn't about me. Right, <laughs> you right, know, right. I want to know that people like me, you <laughs> yeah. know, like that's <laughs> what this is about, you know? And so like being tagged in a photo though I was like, ooh, there's like something about me, you know? Yeah. um, And like, this is a normal, this is like a normal human thing. Like we, we want to feel important. We want to feel cared about. We want to feel like something exciting is happening about us. You know, I think that's totally normal, but like ludic loops totally exploit that, right? And so, the idea is, is like, even if scrolling is like kind of neutral or kind of negative, even the idea that you're going to get these periodic hits of dopamine is really enough for people to like be stuck in that loop indefinitely. Um, there's even like, um, like the scrolling too. Like, I don't know if this is exactly the same thing, but with the scrolling, like, they did this thing and they literally invented this where. When you put your finger, like, at the top of the screen and pull down, it, like, refreshes the feed. Yeah. And that is, like, a repetitive um, motion. It's not about you necessarily, but it's, like, you can always get more, right? Right. Um, so, that's the, like, addictive, um, like, the sort of, like, the, quote, positive side of the addiction. The thing right. That, the thing that feels rewarding about social media where we want more.
2: And then... And then... There's the hypervigilance and, like, the terror that is... Um, yeah that is inflicted upon us by social media in the age of the callout.
0: Yeah. And so like, to me, it's interesting. Cause like, I've heard a lot of people write about the ludic, ludic loops and like talk about dopamine. And I'm like, absolutely. Like, I think that's really, really true. I want to see that people like my post. It feels good. I'm addicted to that feeling, but I'm like, there's another way that I, that I scroll and this is the hypervigilant terror way. Um, And so I think, and that is powered by adrenaline. And so like I think there's a, there's a lot of people who are scrolling in this kind of like panicked way of like am I being am I am I posting the right things? Am I doing the right things to not only get the likes but to avoid getting the negative comments. Um and there's like, you know, you can put up say you put up a post and you're like, I hope that was a good take. I hope that was well received. I hope I'm going to get likes. But then you're checking and you're like, whoa, um is someone going to say something negative? Like is somebody going to say like th- th- this ain't it or like whatever it is, you know, and like, let you know that like you've done something really bad and problematic by, by posting whatever it is that you posted.
1: Right.
0: Um, and I think the more experience that you have with being canceled or the more that like the circles that you're in are really intense about this shit, the more that I think this can play out. And like, for me, a lot of my scrolling is, is panicked, hypervigilant scrolling where I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. Like are people saying terrible things about me? I, I want to look at it. And like, hypervigilance is just like, I need to know about it so that I can somehow feel safe because at least I know what's happening. But there's like nothing you could really do about it anyway. I guess some people try to go on like damage control. Um, I'm well beyond the stage of damage control. Yeah. Um,
2: but it's also like the, it's the idea of wanting to like know what the worst possible thing is could be so that you could like quote unquote do something about exactly. it Exactly. Like can But this is like not even necessarily like a conscious thing. It's like a psychological like yeah. mechanism that happens in our brains, right? Exactly. Um, and yeah, I think it also means that Um, the notifications themselves are like a bump of dopamine and a bump of adrenaline because the notification could be anything, it could be somebody liking, or it could be somebody not liking. I mean,
0: it could be a comment unless you turned your comments off.
2: Yeah. 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 No, for sure. It could be a comment. It could be, uh, you know, if somebody like tags you in something, it could be like, call you like a piece of shit, garbage, human,
0: whatever. And I think it's true. I think people probably, I mean, I can physically feel it thinking about it. Like that kind of surge of like both kind of dopamine, kind of adrenaline of like, somebody said something about me, what did they say? Mm -hmm. And it might be very positive or it might be horrifyingly negative and, um, really upsetting, you know?
2: Yeah, totally. And so what it means is that, um, (laughs) <laughs> actually what it means is that cancellation and call-outs and the sort of like vicious, like angry, like um, um, character that yeah. that is like on a lot of social media um, serves corporations Absolutely. that run these social media platforms um, by um, just boosting their ludic loop um, software, yeah. right? And I think it's important to note too that I don't actually think that it's like I'm not saying that it's like a conspiracy that like Facebook invented cancellation or whatever. I'm saying that it serves Facebook well, that this is the kind of shit that we get up to on there. Yeah. You know? Um, and there's all sorts of other things that people get up to on Facebook that also serve them well, but this is just one of them.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting, right? Because it's, it is profitable for them. It's, it's not that they necessarily planned for it to happen, but I think it is interesting that they're likely, um, like, they don't really do anything to stop it, right? And it's funny because, like, you're technically not supposed to harass people on social media, but, like, social media is, like, so much harassment all the time. And that's just, like, highly acceptable to um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Because it highly engages people's... Um, Attention. And actually our friend Molly um writes some good stuff about this and has a good critique about yeah. um like the intersection of like basically what she says is she's like it's not social media, it's corporate media. And she has a big analysis on about that. I think it's really good. Um and she also um yeah, she has talked about how like cancellation is like specifically profitable for um these corporations. So we'll we'll throw up her Instagram so you can check it out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Friend of the pod, Molly. Um, Yeah. So basically it fucks up your body and your brain and uh, (laughs) it gets you all, uh, I mean, basically like a, like a rat in a cage, fucking like pumping a little, um, A a little lever to get your hit. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's real. And then, so what does it do to, uh, the rats as an ensemble of rats?
0: Yeah. So what are the effects of social media on our social behavior? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that we wanted to talk about is, the idea of a simulated
1: community.
2: Yeah. And I just want to shout out to uh, the log the fuck off uh, oh, yeah. talk because it really – it set me on this course of thinking, I think. Like, yeah. you know, and stuff that I already had kind of, like, you know, thought about, but it had really um, help, helped me in my thinking. Later. Yeah.
0: I think we mentioned it maybe in another episode or yeah, – It's in the um, show
2: notes on episode – one of the other we'll episodes. We'll put it
0: in the show notes for this one too. But yeah, it was basically just a um, a Jacobin talk um, with Amber Ailey Frost – uh, ben Fong and Matt Crispin.
2: Yeah, Matt Crispin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, they they brought up that like the internet does that serves this function of like uh, simulating all yeah. these things that are real. Um, so you know, it simulates sex with pornography. It simulates. Um, politics with posting yeah and it simulates community with uh social media yeah. you know and with so likes
0: and, and and follows and and friends and so on
2: yeah exactly um and we've i've even ranted about this in like previous episodes um but yeah like it, it does really give you this simulated community um that in some of my writing i've called the simunity <laughs>
1: um
2: which i'm very proud of um but yeah and, and it, it it really is interesting to think about how different that simulated community is from like a real community, yeah. right? Um, it's such a
0: weird way of interacting with people.
2: It's a super fucking weird way of interacting with people. It's First of all, it's really, really easy to, like, quote-unquote connect with somebody and then know so much about them um, and have access to all sorts of like intimate information. And about like them. a
0: passive, it's a passive sort of receiving of that information. So you don't have to reach out and ask them how they're doing. It's
2: not an interact. And
0: in fact, you're like a lot of people don't reach out and ask their friends how they're doing anymore because they see them on social media posting about whatever is happening. Right. So we have a sense of what, how our friends are doing by passively engaging with their content instead of like literally talking to them or asking them how they're doing which is like super weird
2: yeah it's like people have this um whole element of their personality that projects out of them into this weird like other dimension of cyberspace right um which is a super interesting thing in its own right that i kind of want to do a whole other episode about but we'll just move on from that now um but yeah so it's really really easy to connect with people. Um, quote-unquote connect with people and also really easy to dispose of people right because you can just unfriend yeah and they're gone from your life like (laughs) um from from your simulated community Yeah.
0: yeah one other thing I just wanted to say about the the passive consumption of people's um like their feeds or whatever yeah is is that because we know that social media is kind of this like performance like sure we're gonna be you know, like there's varying degrees of how honest we are on there. Right. But like by its very nature, it makes sense that people are not necessarily going to share some real shit that's going on for them. Right. And so if we've substituted, like checking in on our friends, calling them or texting them, asking them how they're doing or seeing them, you know, with just like looking at their feeds, we may not know that like, even though they're posting pictures of their cat, they're actually like in a suicidal tailspin or something, you know, like we don't we don't post everything that's really going on in our lives on social media and so like if that's the extent of our like connection with a lot of people we don't fucking know what's going on in their lives which is is not great for like community building and like real intimacy and friendship you know
2: yeah for sure yeah or at least we have to we have to fucking parse like what is real what's not yeah. like what is a performance what is like an actual like call for help what yeah. is uh what you know um, if people need help or if they need attention or and like it's okay to need attention but like what does that mean what, is, what do I need to do about that you know yeah um yeah it's a whole fucking thing you know um
0: but yeah the disposability is very important
2: yeah and like the shallowness of those those relationships um because they're very like they're very like huge in some ways like that we just noticed where like you you have you know you you meet someone you get their like facebook or whatever you add them and then you have like just, just gigantic backlog of information about them so they're very like yeah Um, they're very like substantial in that way but then in terms of like the actual um engagements or there's a word I'm looking for, like, uh, well, I guess like our responsibilities to one another, yeah. they're like, there's none.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I find really interesting with regard to the disposability factor is that it's like, you can have, I mean, I'm wondering if listeners have gone through this experience, it's a particular cancellation experience, but like, you can have real friends who like, you know, to some extent in real life, who you share community with in real life. Um, and then when you're canceled, they just unfollow you, um, because you're canceled now but they didn't say anything to you about it. So it's like really confusing because you're like, are, does that mean we're not friends anymore? Like have, have, has the friendship been terminated? Um, yeah. Is this
2: like an online unfriending or yeah, like a like real are, unfriending or um, both?
0: Yeah. Are you unfollowing me just because you're being harassed because, you know, you following me means that people are harassing you as well because I'm canceled.
2: And if so, why are you telling me?
0: Yeah. And like, I experienced that with my cancellation. Like a lot of people who I knew in real life, and i like share like real community space with just quietly unfollowed me and said nothing to me about it, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I can assume by that, that that means that you're like withdrawing your friendship from me, but it's like really not that clear actually. And like, I would think that having a real relationship would mean that you kind of like, at least owe it to me to break up with me as a friend. Right. Um, cause we used to have to do that. Like if you didn't want to be friends with someone, you probably have to say something instead of just like, unfollowing on, on, on social media
2: yeah and that, um, that's a way that like social media type behavior can leak into the real world sometimes too Yeah, and that's not only for like I don't know high profile people like Clinton or whatever like people have done that to me too yeah um, yeah, and it fucking sucks man like the, the disposability element of like social media culture is fucking huge and I mean I guess I don't know We we have it in a kind of different order in our notes or whatever but like that kind of really plays into the boundaries thing too Um, that you wanted to talk about.
0: So you want to talk about boundaries.
2: I mean, might as well talk about it now. Yeah, like, just the fact that, like, things that would be totally incomprehensible in, like, a real-world scenario are totally normal on social media, right? Um, And, I mean, yeah, Clementine gives the example of just, like... um, you know, somebody showing up on your lawn or like a thousand people showing up on your lawn to (laughs) scream at you through your windows about what a bad person you are would commonly be understood to be not an acceptable thing for them to do.
0: Yeah. I have a lot of feelings about this, about the complete, um, like lack of boundaries, um, and like the complete, just like, um, okay. So like on the left, you know, at least in the sort of like queer scenes that I'm in, we talk a lot about consent and like we really highly value consent, you know? And so it's like totally normal to be like, hey, like, um, like even for example, like um, stuff like emotional labor, like, you know, people really encourage you to like check in and be like, hey, is this a good time for me to like talk to you about this thing that's like kind of heavy or whatever, right? Like we really value consent. It's like really um, okay to like End a relationship that isn't working for you, or to be like, now's not a good time to talk about that, or whatever, to have boundaries and to like say yes or no to things. Um, but for some reason on social media, that's just doesn't exist. And people feel so entitled to just say what they want to say to you, not once, um, but over and over and over again, even after you've said, like, hey, like, I've heard what you've said, I don't agree with you. Um, thanks for the feedback. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like, people will try to break your boundaries down, um, and force you not only to let them say what they're saying, but try to force you to like agree with them through like a process of, of incessant harassment. Um, and they will actually involve like tons of other people, um, Often by like tagging other people and involving other people and like try to get people to mob up on you, um, to force you to do something.
2: And like that process is made a thousand times easier by like the, the setup of social media. Exactly. Like you couldn't, it would be like so difficult to do that in real life. You and
0: know? it would seem wildly inappropriate if yeah. I just like called, you know, 10 of my friends and was like, Hey, so I'm in this argument with this person that I know. And even though I have told them over and over again that they're wrong, they still won't agree with me. So I want all 10 of us to go to this person's house and stand on their lawn and yell at them that they're wrong until they admit that they're wrong.
2: Yeah, wrong and bad.
0: Wrong, and they need to apologize publicly, you know? It's like-
2: (laughs) In the middle of the street. (laughs) Yeah, like everyone would be like,
0: this is a completely inappropriate behavior. Like, what are you doing? And it's weird because it's like, people really don't think this is inappropriate online. They feel massively entitled to it. Um, One of the things that people are super mad at me about and constantly really freaking out about about me is that I turn my comments off. So I don't have comments on my social media. I have 60,000 followers. I cannot, like people want- me to engage personally with the varying beliefs of all of these different people. And, you know, I've had, when I used to have comments, like I used to be sucked into these, like, um, basically arguments that I didn't want to get into with all of these different people who had various different beliefs that were contradictory to each other, um, who were all demanding that I agree with them. And also that I like apologize for saying something that was slightly different than what they believe, you know? Um, it's exhausting. And I think again, the shrimp teeth article really goes into that, but it's like, yeah, like me not having my comments on is a boundary. Like, I don't actually owe people that kind of one on one dialogue. Um, people really strongly believe that I do owe them that, though. Like, yeah. they feel really strongly about it. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, I don't. are
2: fucking mad about it.
0: I don't actually owe you that. Like, I don't know you. And, like, if you. I don't actually have time. Like, I have a full time job. I'm super busy. I have lots of things going on in my life. I don't have time to get into a one on one argument um, or discussion with any person out of 60,000 that want to have that conversation with me.
2: And I mean, also, I think like we were even, we were mentioning this earlier. Like if, if like the caliber of these exchanges was different online, like if people were like, here's like a reason why I disagree with what you have said, I have this citation and I believe that it would be like a more, you know, a clearer way to think about this if we thought about it using this framework or whatever, that would be one thing. You know what I mean? But that's like literally never what people do. Like people, I mean, many people are sort of, um, very averse to like engaging with content of ideas. Um, Sometimes they, it seems like they don't really know how because they weren't taught to. um, And if they ever were taught to, it's been like really like um, it's been like untaught to them, like by the nexus. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's a belief that they have the one right, correct opinion. And that the only appropriate response is for me to accept that and say, you're right. You have the one correct opinion, but like what's so crazy making about it is that people will do this simultaneously on the same post with, but they don't agree with each other. Yeah,
2: with different – yeah, yeah, they,
0: they have contradictory views Um, and they are both mad at me and saying that I need to apologize and agree with them about this specific thing. So, yeah, I think that the boundaries thing is like really, really big on social media. And just like the idea that a person actually has the right to be like, I don't want to have this conversation. Um, I don't want to engage with this. Um, please stop harassing me. Please stop messaging me. And like, I don't know. I just saw this happen. Please
2: stop insulting me.
0: Yeah. Please stop insulting me. Uh,
2: Like instead of like engaging with an idea. Yeah. And
0: also like the intensity of how they do it. Like I just saw this happen to a friend of mine where this person, literally this person didn't know my friend at all. Um, and had just heard a negative, totally untrue accusation about them. Um, and they went onto my friend's page and commented over and over and over and over again, On each post with the same comment and replied individually to each person who had (laughs) written a comment on this, on my friend's post. That was fucking crazy. Like, replied with this thing, just like over and over. And it's this intensity of like entitlement. Not everyone is that entitled, but when some people are, um, and it's sort of like a normal thing to like be nonstop like demanding um and then you multiply that by having a huge following it's like super super overwhelming and stressful
2: and then like as as your own private corporation on um, instagram or whatever you have to have fucking you have to like hire part of yourself to fucking like <laughs> like, like moderate all these fucking comments yeah. and it's like it's too much fucking work man. i'm like it's not
0: my job man i'm out here stapling zines i don't have time to like literally reply individually to every single person like yeah. sorry
2: um, but I mean that, that, that create like intense comment spree that you yeah. talked about actually leads us to the, um, the infectious principle thing, yeah, you know, absolutely. um, because well, maybe you would tell the story about it. I don't know. Okay. You wanna-
0: yeah. I don't want to go into details, but yeah, I mean, basically, so, The idea of the infectious principle is something that, you know, it's actually more of a part of the cancel culture part of the nexus, but it plays out online in particular ways. And so when we talk about the infectious principle, what we're talking about is that when people are canceled or they're called out or they're accused of something that, um, that accusation is like contagious and it actually spreads to the people who are connected to them. And this is why when people are canceled, like their friends are harassed and their friends are basically told that they have to um, also cancel their friend or usually they use the language of holding accountable, but they need to also take part in this harassment or they need to denounce um, their friend. And you'll, you'll see this play out online all the time. So like on social media, this can be like really um, ramped up And happens in like a very particular way where you'll see that somebody has been called problematic for one reason or another. And people will then make posts being like, why do I have X amount of friends in common with this person? Why are like, you know, 15 of, of my followers following this person? And I've literally seen people make the post being like I better come back you know in a half an hour and see that that number has dropped to zero yeah I'm
2: watching y'all yeah
0: like low-key threatening their friends because their friend follows this person and I'm like there's so many weird like assumptions that are being made here um first of all it's like whether or not the accusation against the original person is true or not I don't know often the accusations are vague and weird and confusing and often boil down to the person like disagreeing with you or not posting things online exactly how you want them to right um but then from there it's like just because a person follows someone does not mean that they even agree with everything that that person says or obviously obviously yeah it's like liking someone or following someone is like an incredibly pretty passive act um and like I follow people who like, I'm like, yeah, I agree with like some of what they say and like some of the stuff actually I don't agree with at all. Um, and it's fine for me to follow them. Like it isn't, um, it isn't me co-signing everything that they've ever said and done. Like we're separate people. We do not collapse into one person right. just because I follow them on Instagram. And so anyway, like this recently, there was like a really weird thing that happened where, um, um, Someone that I follow on Instagram out of the like, you know, hundreds of people that I follow, um, was accused of like liking some kind of conservative content. And so this person now is seen as a conservative because they liked some kind of conservative co- content, apparently not only
2: conservative, but like actively like alt right, like QAnon like,
0: well, yeah, I don't even know who the person was that they liked, but yeah, it's like they, the sort of the leaps of logic seem to be that like, they liked a conservative person and now right. they're being framed you know, as like alt-right or whatever. And, and then it was pointed out that I follow this person. And so then people started accusing me of being alt-right. And someone suggested that I was associated with QAnon. <laughs> someone suggested that I was associated with QAnon. And I was like, what is going on? Like, how did we get here? You know?
2: It's so fucking funny, man, how these accusations evolve. And
0: I'm like, what does that even, okay. Like, I don't know what to say about that. And I'm like, I don't think that this person is associated with QAnon, first of all. Um, But whatever, that's an example of this, um, infectious principle. And often the way that it, it works out with cancellations is that any person who follows someone who's being canceled also needs to unfollow that person. And if they don't, they will also be harassed and potentially canceled. Um, and you know, in the shrimp teeth, um, article, I guess I'm mentioning that a lot, but it's like really worth reading. One of the things that she says is she says like something like I'm I'm tired of being forced to take part in other people's cancellations. And I think that that's like really well said. Like we are actually forced to take part in other people's cancellations or else we will be canceled ourselves or else we will also experience punishment. And there's a lot of people who take part who like may not really feel that way. They may be like, I don't actually think this person deserves to be harassed. I don't actually agree with your interpretation or your framing of this person.
2: Or like, I don't care. Or
0: like, I don't care. Or like, I don't know about this. Or like, it's none of my business, you yeah. know? Um And... But they take part passively sort of unfollowing just because they don't want to be harassed. Um, So, yeah, I think that this plays out on social media in like really intense ways with like people like tagging like every person on their list who also follows that person and being like, you better unfollow, like explain yourself. Why are you following this person? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, guys, like it's, it's pretty dysfunctional. Like just because a person follows someone. Does not mean that they agree with every single thing that that person says. No, it's like an absurd
2: idea. It's an absurd idea. idea. Like, yeah. yeah. No, for sure.
0: Um, Okay, so I feel like that's. Is there something else?
2: Well, no, except that, like, the idea that someone might. The the idea that someone agrees with every single thing that all of their friends lists, like, thinks.
1: Is a crazy idea. is
2: Is a crazy idea, but it's actually really interesting because that very much lines up with the, like, homogenizing impulse of. Of the nexus. Right. Like in terms of ideology, like you're literally all supposed to think the same thing. Right. Um, Like there's
0: one thing that we're all supposed to be thinking and we're all supposed to be getting to that place where we all agree.
2: Exactly, which really leads us very well to like the okay, next section, yeah. which is like social media and the production of the truth. Yeah. You know? And so, like, the first thing we wanted to talk about in this section was surveillance, how we surveil ourselves, um, others, and we like willingly allow this to go on, right? So, like, in terms of surveilling ourselves, like, we fucking edit our own thoughts, like, before they even get out of the back of our brain to the front of our brain or yeah. whatever, um, and, and out of our fingers and onto the internet, right? Like, we, we are, you know, we're we're checking ourselves to make sure that we're not doing something that's going to get us in trouble, right? And like, okay, so like to a degree, obviously that's normal and fine, right? Yeah. Like we have like crazy thoughts. I have crazy thoughts all the time that I don't like necessarily like believe or want to like spread or whatever. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? Um, but it, I think that it really like if you're like deep in the nexus, like um we have been, um it, it can get to like some really intense extremes, right? Yeah. Um, where. So you're, like, editing your own thoughts, but then you're also, like, being the cop in your head where you, like, you know what all the um, um, accusations against you will be before they're even made, right? So you, like, sort of, like, check off all of them to make sure that yeah. you're not going to be accused of them. Um, and, like, honestly, by the time that you, like, get through them all, it's sort of, like, the range of things that you can think or say is, like, can, yeah. can sometimes be, like, kind of grim and tiny.
0: Yeah, it's making me think of um, – there is an episode of our friend Molly's podcast. Um the podcast is called Out of the Woods, and I can't remember um, the name. I think – I don't want to get the name wrong. I think her first name is Kira, but I can't remember her last name, but we'll put it in the um, in the uh, show notes. But, like, in the interview with Kira, like, um, she talks about an imagined audience.
2: Yes, absolutely. And
0: so this idea of, like, basically that, like, we – immediately are putting our thoughts towards the scrutiny of like an imagined audience, which like like Jay said, like there's nothing wrong with sort of sort of playing through what you want to say and thinking about how it's gonna land with people and like making sure that you're saying things in like a respectful way or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But when your imagined audience Is these like internet trolls who are like so hypercritical, who are so harassing, who are so willing to like dispose of people, who are actually overtly cruel a lot of the time. If that's your imagined audience, it's it's like extremely frightening to try to write something. Um,
2: It's an imagined audience that would never. Under any circumstances, engage in good faith.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not it's not an imagined audience that is sort of like trying to meet you halfway, that is trying to like be generous, um, and and like sort of assume good intent and like try to see where they agree and maybe disagree. But it's it's a condemning audience that is immediately looking for fault and looking to blame you and looking to find what is wrong with what you're saying.
2: Right. Even though many of the people who are actually going to be like, let's say, like reading whatever you yeah. write. Could very well be super nice people yeah. who like engage in good faith and are super nice. It, it doesn't matter, right? Because the audience that you have to engage with in your head is the worst of of all possible worlds, right? Yeah.
0: And I mean, it's, but it's based in reality. It's not yes. just like a paranoid, delusional, like.
2: No, of course. Yeah. It's, it's based like, on like your learning of what has literally happened to you.
0: Yeah. And, and what you've seen happen to other people.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. So we surveil ourselves. Um, and then we, um, we surveil other people. So. Um, this is also like basically like there's this thing with social media where it's like there's a public record of everything and it's crazy it goes back for like years you know Um, and actually people find it like really suspicious and they get mad if you like delete stuff Um, because people feel entitled to this like record of everything that you've ever said like since like 2008 or something which is like horrifying I'm like oh my god like fortunately for me my old Facebooks that I had like when I was a drunk like don't exist anymore thank god they were deleted by Facebook because I accidentally posted a nipple Um, but it's like (laughs) thank god you know because like i would be so canceled i was like a crazy person back then um but this idea that like we have to um show like what our takes have been not just now um but but permanently like all throughout the past which also like totally negates the possibility of growth or the idea that people change that our ideas like change that we become more of who we want to be um but no it's like we have to have this um this record. Um, and we are expected to be practicing this surveillance towards people around us to be scrutinizing what they're saying, to be checking to make sure that like everything they're saying is like the right take to be commenting and to be pointing out if there's like anything, um, wrong. I saw like, um, I'm not going to name names, but like, I saw like a, a cancellation that happened where somebody was canceled. They made a statement, um, explaining basically what their boundaries were explaining what they felt you know they were being um accused of that was like unfair and not accurate and then also made some apologies and like i thought it was like a very respectful letter um and this person posted it and literally invited their followers to go through and like circle what was problematic about it yeah yeah. um and to like together as a group we're going to like do this surveillance we're going to we're going to use this document to like condemn this person. And there's like
2: not even the possibility that the apology is okay. No, like, it's not
0: allowed. And I mean, this person's like, I could probably rip this apart, but like, let's see if as a group, yeah, we, we can like, like
2: crowdsource this. Yeah, fucking and, and make this you know? like
0: a, some kind of weird, like group activity. To, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. rip This person apart now
2: class, gather around, yeah, you know? <laughs> and like come up with
0: the most creative ways to cancel this person. <laughs> yeah. People were like really canceling her. I'm like, wow. Um, but yeah, so this idea, and you'll actually see this often with the concept of receipts, so people are always like, I have the receipts, which means that they have like screenshots of various things. Um, often like, I'm like, I don't know what this is really meant to prove because often there are screenshots of like posts that were like publicly available to all to be from yeah, the beginning yeah. and haven't even been deleted. Or
2: screenshots that make them look like a fucking like, horrible little goblin.
0: Yeah. I mean, screenshots that, that show that they're like being cruel and vicious. Um, yeah. But often they're also um, screenshots of like private correspondence um, that right. was happening like you know, with the assumption that this wasn't going to be posted all over the internet. And so again, like, I don't know, like the idea that it's totally appropriate to like share um, private correspondence, we've all accepted that now that that's just like, but that's surveillance. It's this idea that like we can't expect privacy. Um, We are not entitled to privacy in any kind of area of our lives. Like everything that we say and do um, should be available for public consumption if it's ever decided that that is necessary.
2: Yep. And anyone can peruse at any time, like your um total like sum of all your takes and like all the things that you've done and like whether or not you ever had dreadlocks or like whatever yeah um you know if you ever uh you know went to a rave and you had like war paint or like whatever yeah like somebody who canceled me a really long time ago like used to go to raves and had like war paint and all these and pictures like, and they're like really old facebook pictures I'm
0: problematic
2: Problematic, you know yeah i never went to raves <laughs> i'm fine um Uh, But yeah, and then like one thing that you've noticed uh, that we've noticed is that like, yeah, we like willingly allow this to happen. I mean, obviously, there's a question of like whether like, how, how realistic that sort of like, quote unquote, consent is like when it's so difficult to not be like on social media, like, um, but we do to a degree sort of like ex expect and accept it. Right. Yeah. Um, Which is disturbing, but also it's fucking enforced, man. Like if you, like you were saying, like people get fucking pissed off if they don't have like a total record of everything you've ever thought. Um, And also like, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like we are,
0: it's demanded of us that we provide um, a document that expresses our views, preferably written in our own words about any given political issue that is going on. Like we are expected to provide that. And if we don't provide it, it can be assumed that we literally think the worst about this political issue, you know? It
2: can and should be assumed Yeah, it. yeah and it's, yeah. like, people
0: are not, <laughs> like, yeah, like, people may not be making a post that is expressing what they think about a political issue. Like, they may be, like I said earlier, like, expressing that um in other ways. But there's this idea that, like, we are expected um to provide this information um, about political issues, about basically you know, actually all sorts of areas of our lives, we're supposed to document it and we're supposed to make it available for public consumption. Um, and one thing that just came up for me, um, when we were talking about this, it's kind of, it's kind of related to the surveillance of others, but also it's like, it's like, I was thinking about how I actually like in times when I have been in like really tense, um, interpersonal conflict, um, in the context of the nexus, you know, I don't feel this way now when I have like most of my friends or all of my friends now or like people that I actually trust. But for a long time living in the nexus, my, my relationships and my friendships were not actually rooted in trust. Like I was really afraid of my friends canceling me at any moment. I knew that this was normal behavior that people did to each other. And it was really frightening. Um, and so whenever I was in like tense conflict, I was like, I do not want to have this argument on chat. Um, because people are going to screenshot that, you know, and, um, people are going to screenshot that and they're going to post it on the internet. And I'm like, that is such a terrible, um, like conflict is messy. People are, and I'm, I'm not even like, I don't insult people when I'm in conflict. Like I don't say horrible things, but like, I'm just like, wow, like when I'm angry and I'm upset, you know, I should have the space to like be in an argument with someone and not be afraid that whatever I'm saying is going to possibly be it's
2: broadcasted. broadcasted it. It's a private
0: co- yeah. correspondence, but like, I know that people can screenshot it and also like sort of screenshot part of it, take it out of context of um, and like make me look really bad. And so in the past, like people have tried to get into shit with me on um, chat and people who I don't trust and I'm like honestly I don't want to have this conversation over chat man like let's have this in person
2: so obviously all this has a huge impact on the truth as uh as expressed on social media right um and then we wanted to talk about the take economy which is my kind of like pet theory um of like a lot of the processes that go on on social media and I called it um an what do I call it? An emergent property. That's what I call it. An emergent property. Clontang got mad at me because
1: it's, it's
2: a confusing term. But like basically, an emergent property. I had to like look it up to make sure I was using it properly. But it's like a something that arises out of like another system that's like greater than those sort of like some of the parts of the original system. Uh, and so life is actually a really good example of an emergent property. Right. It's like life is an emergent property of chemistry. Right. Like you just if you just had a bunch of chemicals just floating around, you yeah. would not expect life to just arise, you Yeah. Know? or, you know, um, a termite hill is like an emergent property of insects. Right. right. And like, again, if you just sort of like unleashed a bunch of insects and then like, you wouldn't expect that in like 50 million years, they would build termite mountains. Right. Right. Um, but they do. Right.
0: I right. understand.
2: Yeah. And uh, well, I'm explaining to our listeners. <laughs> right? um, and yeah, the take economy is something that I think is an emergent property of social media in the context of the nexus. And basically, I talked about it a little bit on previous episodes, but I'm going to get into it a little bit. Social media can be seen as like an ecosystem, and the unit of life that exists within this ecosystem is a meme. And I don't necessarily mean a meme in the the typical sense that we usually use, as in like a little picture with like some words on it, but a meme in the sense of like a unit of information, which is like the original use of the term.
0: by richard dawkins by
2: richard dawkins yeah yeah um which could actually be a meme like a literal meme yeah but it also could be like a paragraph of text or like um a part of an idea or like a song or whatever yeah um and i think that basically what happens in social media is that you have these you have takes right people Create takes, yeah, um, and I call them takes because that's like the term that we use for them. But I think the most of our listeners are familiar with what a take is, basically, yeah. you know. Um, and they it, they act almost as though they are sort of like living organisms that have to reproduce within a given ecosystem. Um, and in order to do that, in order to reproduce successfully, they need to have certain characteristics, right? Just like an organism does. Um, an organism has to be able to reproduce effectively in order to make its population get bigger. Yeah. And it's also in competition with other organisms that yeah. are slightly different. Their yeah. characteristics are slightly different. Um, and so basically what ends up happening in social media is like people come up with takes and if the takes – like the takes can either do well or not do well, yeah. right? Or they can be middling, yeah. you know? Um, and they're constantly being kind of generated because people um, – have to come up with new takes and they have to like share takes and they have to take takes and modify the takes. So there's this like, there's this process of modification that's going on that is very similar to evolution. Yeah. Right. Um, or, or sorry, it's similar to, um, adaptation or or mutation. Yeah.
1: Which leads to evolution, which
2: leads to evolution. So there's this evolutionary process that takes place within social media, um, in the context of these takes.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so just to sort of like, yeah, sort of make sense of that. Like basically what it means is that someone can say something like um, someone can sort of make a declarative statement, a political declarative statement or um, an assessment of things. Um, And then that will be reproduced on social media by other people who, who want to share what is being deemed the correct um, political stance to have on a particular issue. Right. So someone will make a post and be like, this is what you should think about this. Or like, this is what I think about this. This is a way of thinking about this. But usually it's done in a way that is like very, um, definitive. People don't usually frame their takes as like one possible way of thinking about things. It's usually the way of thinking about things. Right. And so other people, um, can reproduce that. Um, and also make a similar take, Um, and then because of social media, things are shared, like on people's stories, people are like reposting. Um, and they're also just sort of like, uh, paraphrasing things in their own words and like repeating a concept that they've heard.
2: And just to interrupt super quickly, um, if you did come up with a take that was sort of like, this is just one possible way of talking about things, it would not be as successful. No, No. Right. And, but a take that has built into it, this sort of thing of like, if you don't share this, you're a fucking asshole. Is more successful. Of course, it It has a characteristic that that like allows it it to be more successful. Of
0: course, because people are like, oh shit, if I don't share this, I'm I'm an asshole or whatever, I'm gonna be canceled. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so there's this way in which, and like this is it's interesting, right? Like, we're talking about um the production of truth, and it's like, you know, people a take is like actually an opinion. Like a take is one way of looking at things. It's it's like I'm making an assessment and I'm I'm sharing what I think, you know? Um, but on social media. You know we're all trying to have the right take and so we are reproducing these ideas that that seem to be popular and that seem to be getting the likes and are being agreed upon as like the correct take um and so if your take is vaguely threatening <laughs> um often relies heavily on um identity that's that's another piece almost always yeah um and is sort of like totalizing often like really intense like binary thinking can be like quite condemning um
2: and is aggressive towards other takes that way
0: yeah then it is more likely to get passed on
2: yeah it's competitive
0: it's competitive and
2: and like um it's worth noting that this is like just whatever opinions being sort of like upvoted or whatever on the internet is not necessarily what we're talking about right we're saying that like within the nexus which is really this combination of like identitarianism yeah. cancel culture yeah. and social media that is where the ecosystem is yeah. the the parameters of that ecosystem are the nexus right yeah. um yeah and so like
0: and there might be a take economy outside of the nexus oh
2: for sure on the right yeah, they there's, definitely, have their there's, own there's definitely there's definitely growing yeah and and memes in general like operate in an economy like this too yeah. or like a, like an ecosystem like this too as yeah. well um yeah but then so there's the element of this where it's like actually like an economy though too right which is that like um people there's like a reward system as well that happens right and and this kind of like breaks out of the evolutionary um metaphor a little bit um and it is a metaphor you know i'm not saying that these are literally organisms that sort of like have their own life or whatever but it's like a good way of thinking about them right but with the the economic like analysis of it you can say that like People are rewarded for coming up with good takes. Yeah. Right. And they're punished for coming up with bad takes. Yeah. And, and there are bad takes, right? Yeah. Like they, and actually, like the woke world is littered with like takes that didn't take off.
0: Yeah. And right? I mean, that's a phrase you'll hear often in discussions of cancel culture. People will always be like, well, if somebody has a bad take. And often when people are trying to sort of even critique cancel culture, they'll be like, well, if someone has a bad take, you know, we should just politely educate them about that instead of canceling them. I'm like again, like it's such a weird way of framing things as like good take, bad take, rather than like an opinion that you don't agree with.
2: Take A and take B. Yeah, Yeah. it's like Um,
0: you know, is it a bad take just because you don't agree with it? It's it's a weird way of thinking about ideas.
2: And people who've been around for a while remember um, the Great Asterisk Wars of of what like 2016 or something
0: i think it was like earlier than that i think it was like 2014 ish
2: yeah we all fucking decided that you are not allowed to put an asterisk I mean, after the word trans
0: i mean honestly i'm like i'm kind of like are we like aging ourselves like dating ourselves by saying this because like maybe
2: but like this fucking happened i swear to god it I happened mean, it
0: happened, <laughs> it happened.
2: Um, so, and then now yeah the asterisk is back
0: i mean i feel like now we're gonna have to unpack this a little bit more because people don't not everybody knows what you're talking about but basically what what we're talking about is that a, w- a while ago I'm gonna guess 2014 um there became a common thing in which the word trans had an asterisk at the end um, and the purpose of this was um that it was more inclusive to non-binary and gender non-conforming people um, to put the asterisk so that it showed that like the word trans is not just applied to binary trans people but includes all sorts of trans people um, and so that was popular for a while but then, people got really mad about it. And so it was a take, that was a take that, you know, you should put an asterisk, but then a lot of people got really, really mad about it and claimed that it was a bad take um, and said that the asterisk was actually basically um, offensive to non-binary people um, and to gender non-conforming people who are not binary trans because the word trans inherently includes it. And so if you put the asterisks, you're sort of like othering or separating non-binary people. And this was like, like when Jay is joking and being like, there was like a war about this. Like it was a big deal. Like there was huge arguments about it on social media. Yeah. I know at least one person who started a practice of writing trans with a slash and then an asterisk as a way of trying to like appease both sides to yeah. both have the asterisk and not have the asterisk because yeah. people were really mad about it. And it was a take that people really could not agree upon. But then in the end, it was decided that the asterisk was bad. Um, It was decided that it was trans transphobic. There was like tons of posts about it. There were even like posts that were like why the asterisk is transphobic. Um, and like educational posts saying why you should not put the asterisk. And like a lot of people were just putting the asterisk like in a well-meaning way because they had heard that it was the correct take and they yeah. had heard that it was a way yeah. to not be transphobic, exactly. but then they were called out for being transphobic. And then that was all resolved years ago. I mean, I'm like, definitely, I feel like I'm dating myself. Cause I'm like, I remember this. I remember yeah, when Lucas this happened. was settled, it was settled yeah. and then we did not use the asterisk. And then recently, like you know, on social media over the past couple of months, I have noticed several people starting to use the asterisks again, and I have seen several educational posts going around explaining that the asterisks is important because it's inclusive to non-binary people. Yeah, it's, so I'm just like, what's going on? It's, it's wild, man. It's yeah. happening again.
2: It's happening again. Um, but anyways, the point is so that, yeah, so people are incentivized to produce takes, and um, um, you can get a lot of uh recognition, likes, whatever, dopamine, yeah. Um, if you come up with a good new take, right? Yeah. Um you can get like there can be like huge severe consequences if you have like a bad new take. Yeah. And then most people are honestly just gonna sort of like repost other people's safe takes. Yeah. Right. Um, because it's safe, right? Yeah.
0: And it can get confusing when there is kind of like a take war, like we just talked about, where there's two sides that are claiming that this is the correct take. Um, And you'll even see people posting like contradictory things because they're trying to be, they're trying to post the right take, but they're being told two contradictory things.
2: Yeah. And because these takes are snippets of information and not parts of a coherent ideological whole, which is like something that like, it's a thread that runs through the entire nexus. Yeah. um, They literally, people will just have these totally contradictory Opinions because like their opinions are not part of a coherent whole. They are a series of takes. Yeah. It's a patchwork right? of takes. It's a patchwork of takes. And people are literally just trying to be good people. Yeah. Like they, they have been taught yeah. that how you are good is to have the right takes. Yeah. And you know? like they're
0: trying to be good and they're also trying to avoid punishment Yep, because um, they don't want to be punished for having the wrong takes.
2: Exactly. Um, so that's basically how the take economy works. Like, my feeling is that it's the main sort of like actual dynamic process within the nexus that that gives the nexus its well, its dynamism. It it, ma- it stops it from being static. You know, you just keep coming up with takes, man, yeah. and like new things keep happening in the world to have takes about, right? Yeah, and um, it's, it's interesting. And you can refine existing takes, and you can sort of like modify them, and you can like whatever. There's like so much that you can do in this take economy.
0: Apparently, takes can come back from the dead. They can come back from the dead. But it's like you know. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because it's like, to me, like an ethical framework is like, there isn't just one correct ethical framework. Like ethical frameworks are things that people need to like think deeply about. Like there aren't easy answers. Like coming up with like your political views on things is like complex. These ideas are like really nuanced. Um, I could hear like two different perspectives that I'm like, wow, like I kind of agree with both of those in different ways, but they're kind of contradictory. Like there's a lot of nuance and complexity um, with like ethical and political work, right? Um, but all of that complexity is sort of like, just like boiled away. Um, and we're left with just like, you know, this attempt at like memorizing the correct takes. And if it was possible to just do that once and sort of be like, okay, these are all of the correct takes and now I'm done. Like, you know, that would be simple enough. But the issue is that the takes are always changing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of that, being in the nexus is a process of like hypervigilance and and study. And it's a process of having to constantly adapt to the changing and often contradictory uh, takes that are being, you know, that are currently the correct takes. And you need to be able to reproduce them now. and so you have to study. You have yeah. to be constantly aware of like what totally. you have to pay attention. Who's totally. getting who's getting called out for the bad take? You know.
2: And again, it's like I want to I want to be clear that it doesn't mean that all of these takes are like bullshit.
1: No, they're right? not.
2: And it doesn't mean that all the people posting them are like fucking robots or no. whatever. Like not at all. You know. And that's not what I'm saying. And I've whatever I've participated in the take economy and like we all do. It's actually like it's kind of built into like the the social fabric of like what it means to be a human. You know. That's why it is emerging. Yeah. Um, but but it does operate in this specific way in the nexus that I think is important to point out. Also, uh, and this I think leads us to like the last thing is that the cancellation is a type of take. Yeah. It's a type of take and it functions according to the same rules as as the 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 evolution of the takes, you know? And so this is something that I've also or something that I've thought about a bunch where like A cancellation, like say somebody cancels you, but it's for something that's like not that big of a deal and the cancellation is like quite nice and like they don't call you like a fucking like piece of shit and there's no kind of like call for it to be spread or whatever. It's likely not going to spread, No, you know, people might not even hear about it, whatever.
0: And I mean, honestly, that would not be a cancellation, you know, like in and of itself, if you just sort of like told someone, hey, like your behavior was hurtful to me can we talk about that that's not a cancellation <laughs>
2: right exactly and that's, it's not
0: going to spread because it's not designed to spread it's just designed to talk to somebody about your feelings
2: exactly but a cancellation that is more um meaty and has more venom to it and and has this um this self-replicating characteristic where it really uh, tells people that if they don't share it, they're a piece of shit, you know that's a successful take and a successful cancellation and what ends up happening is that that cancellation as it spreads, as it's reposted, as people write it in their own words, as it sort of like turns into um, from like a text post to an image post or whatever, in, in these mutations, um, the mutations that are more successful, that get spread more, are always going to be the ones that are more, um, that that describe a worse kind of transgression, that are written more in um, identitarian terms, that can um, depict the cancelee as more of a Um, an oppressor, right? Um, That whatever, that are basically more dire and also more threatening to people who don't share them, right? And it's always going to happen because there's like an ecosystem that demands that that happen. And that is why cancellations tend to get worse and worse with each telling. And it can start off with something like somebody is sketchy, you know, and that can end up I mean, we've all seen where it can end up in like these like really wild fucking um, accusations, often like weirdly specific, because that's yeah. like literally like the the ecosystem throwing up these weird adaptations that like serve it well. Yeah. And know? I think
0: an important piece of this as well is that nuance does not get passed along, right? No. Like the idea is is that it's this bite-sized information. It's 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 like always reduced to like a simple sort of easily passed along piece of information. That's right. that's part of what is selected for in this economy of takes and cancellations. Right. Um, and so, you know, I mean, this is just because what we're saying is kind of abstract to just, because I, I already talked about this example, like what, what is more likely to be passed along? Clementine Morgan liked or followed, Clementine Morgan followed this other Instagram person. That Instagram person at one time liked a post, by this other person who is a conservative, or Clementine Morgan is affiliated with QAnon. Uh, uh, <laughs>
2: right. Uh, which one would you be more likely to share? <laughs>
0: right? I mean, it sounds fucking scandalous. People are like, "What the fuck, Clementine?" Like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> What the fuck? Since when did you get involved with QAnon? You know? And so, like, that's what people are going to pass along. The first one is confusing. It's like, there's a lot of different pieces of information. There's a lot that's, like, unclear about that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of assumptions that are being made. And so, it's, like, easier to just, like, you know, and honestly, like, we've talked about, you know, the take economy and, and cancellations, evolving cancellations. Um, and to be honest, like, I kind of think that there's, like, a really simple and old-fashioned way of talking about this. Which is called gossip. Um, <laughs>
2: okay. I, I might have overintellectualized this. <laughs>
0: yeah, but like basically, with gossip, like that's basically to an extent, is what we're talking about. Um, but except on social media, it obviously takes on like huge proportions. But it's like, yeah, it's broken telephone. Like I have heard. You know, I have watched cancellations evolve in this way. I have watched them become a broken telephone, um, you know, moving from one to another where like each time they were passed along, like weird details were like added and omitted. Um, and then in the end, people have these accusations that they state with like such authority, um, and certainty, but they actually have no actual information, um, about where they're even getting this from or like where it originally came from. Um, and they're not being transparent about like the number of assumptions that were made, you know, moving from you know Clementine follows someone who likes some conservative to like Clementine is now a member Bro, of QAnon, like
2: <laughs> it's no, the funniest thing to me. Sorry. It's like
0: it's like a really <laughs> weird leap that people made. There, there's several leaps that were made. There were a lot of leaps. Yeah. Um, but all of those leaps are just like condensed down, and like that's a very absurd example, right? And I'm saying it partially because it's so absurd and it's funny. Um, but it's like those type of things happen all the time with. To your friends to to people being canceled, and also they they happen with um in a in a different but similar way with takes right um where you know the version is constantly changing and evolving um and then there's like one that survives um and so in this case the one that survived is that apparently I'm a member of QAnon I don't even know if QAnon is something you can be a member of but that's that's what's uh, come out of this. Yeah. So I feel like that was a pretty good explanation yeah. um, of the take economy.
2: And honestly, like I almost want to have like a whole episode about it at some point, like to just like really like get like get lots of examples and fucking like quote fucking Richard Dawkins, yeah. everyone's most hated. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, he's like pretty fucking annoying in some areas, but he's like a really a really good science writer. Um, but yeah, um, we've been at this for like two million hours, so we're probably gonna wrap up pretty quick. Um, but we wanted to briefly ask, sort of like what would it look like to change this culture of social media you know yeah and i think like one thing that i was i was talking about earlier to clementine was just that yeah like this the the like so like fucking facebook and instagram were not the inevitable conclusion of our civilization right like there's a way to exam like to imagine a world in which we have like a similar sort of like level of technological advancement and everything where um it is normal for things to be socially owned and so there's no such thing as a corporation that owns all of your communications and then is actively engaged in trying to make you addicted to their fucking like crazy glowing box right um you can imagine that world i can imagine it anyway right and so so that's that's just like one element of this but like i know that i can't just sort of like snap my fingers and make instagram and facebook stop like stop existing right so i don't know what would it look like to change the culture in the meantime i think actually the the fucking thing that um shrimp tooth Shrimp teeth. shrimp teeth shrimp teeth did um is like a great example of it where people are preemptively canceling themselves yeah. right and people are just starting to be like i'm not gonna play this fucking ridiculous game where i'm gonna pretend to fucking agree with things i don't agree with where i'm gonna fucking pretend that all people of every identity group that i can think of like all think the same yeah you know i'm not going to fucking um allow you to bully me into canceling my yeah. friends i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna play
0: Yeah. But I mean, I think it's really important to acknowledge that doing this is fucking scary. Yeah. You know, it's fucking scary. Um, And so no one wants to go first, you know, and like actually a lot of the messages that we've received about this podcast is that people are like, thank you for saying this. People, so many people have messaged us to be like, thank you for saying this. I have thought these things, you know, I've been too afraid to tell anyone about the fact that I have these critiques or that I have these fears. Um, other people have been like, you know, I have like a couple close friends that I can talk to about this, but like I, I would never want to post about it on social media because I'm too afraid of the punishment. Um and so basically for me, I'm like a big part of changing this culture. like if we want to change the way that the Nexus operates, I think there's two pieces um and one is like more what Jay started with, which which I will get to. but like, I think with the situation as, as it is right now, where like social media is owned by these horrible tech companies and it is like we are dealing with like, operating within like a pretty evil, um, platform or a pretty evil format that we're working within. Like it is, it's fucked up, you know, but if we are going to be operating within these things, if we do have jobs that are connected to Instagram, if we do, you know, have our Instagram addiction, we do like being on there. We do want to like be relating to people on there. I'm like, how could we begin to shift the culture? And like, how could we begin to dissent? Like, to start to say, no, I'm not going to um, take part in somebody else's cancellation, you know, um, because I think that these small acts of dissent add up and it's through this that we're going to change the culture. And it is scary because it's like each time that somebody does this, they will experience personal consequences for doing it. You know, um, they will probably experience some level of cancellation, some level of harassment and the scale of it may vary. Um, but I just want to like acknowledge and name that it is extremely frightening to do that. Like we're social animals. We deeply need our communities. None of us want to be publicly shamed. None of us want to be harassed. If we can avoid that just by sort of passively unfollowing someone who's been marked as bad, like, A lot of people are going to do that. And I understand that, you know? Yeah. And I don't judge it. Like when Shrimp Teeth, um, Sam, I mean, her name's actually Sam, but, um, she goes by Shrimp Teeth Online, um, wrote this thing and talked about, you know, putting me on this list of like bad influencers who have been canceled. Like it is hurtful, you know? But at the same time, I have so much fucking compassion for it because I understand. And like as we talked about in the last episode, episode three, like I have taken part in people's cancellations, you know, and it doesn't make me a bad person. It just makes me somebody who's been trying to survive under this abusive culture where we are encouraged to act this way. And we're punished if we don't act this way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the culture starts to, to change by people being brave and by people little by little, as we're able to we start to say no,
2: and and seek out people who are safe, man. Seek out people who have uh, demonstrated in some kind of a way that that, that, that they would never cancel you, you totally, know? like if if at all possible, right? Yeah. Because that dude, it means so much more than like all the fucking uh, likes in the world, man. To have some people who just have your back in like a normal people way,
0: yeah. And like building, I when I was canceled, I was like, oh my god, my life is over. I'm not going to have any friends. You know, six months later, I actually have the deepest, most like intimate and close relationships that I've had in my life, because now I have relationships with people that I trust with people who are not going to cancel me. Right. And now when I make new friends, I actually have conversations about this stuff to see how they feel about it. Um, and you know you can try this. Like if you're, if you're making friends with someone new or you want to like test the waters with the people in your life, you can bring up these topics and see how they respond and see if you can have an honest conversation about it. Um, bring up the pod, be like, Hey, have you heard about this podcast? It's about cancel culture. It's a great way to see like what people think. (laughs) Just
2: mention our names.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's true. Like, honestly, I like when I'm like whatever, like talking to someone on Tinder or something, I'm like, yeah, so like I do a podcast and they're like, oh yeah, what's your podcast about? And I'm like, well, let me tell you, you know, and it's a great way for me to see whether this is someone that I actually want to pursue intimacy with, because if there's someone who's like, well, actually, I think, you know, canceling people is totally legitimate or whatever. I'm like, okay, like that's where they're at. But like, that's not someone that I want to try to develop like a close intimate relationship with, because they're not, it's not someone that I will be able to trust, you know? Um, And so, yeah, we can, we should start having these conversations. And I think that if somebody says like, you know, Hey, I noticed that you're following so-and-so and and -and so-and-so is actually problematic. Um, you know, what would it be like to be like, Hey, um, I'm actually not comfortable with people sort of surveilling who I'm following and like who I follow is like my business. And like, I don't know what happened with that person, but like me following them is not like me co-signing whatever they're being accused of. Um, I'm actually, it's fine that I'm following them. I don't, I don't actually believe in cancel culture. So I'm not going to take part in that. I mean, you don't have to say exactly like that, but like, I think there's ways that we can start to say no and start to resist. And I think the more that we do that, the more that we're going to start to shift the culture towards one that is kind, towards one that treats people with dignity and respect that doesn't treat people like they're disposable. um, And that we can actually deal with like actual situations of like abuse and violence in like a responsible way, which is totally possible and something we'll talk about more.
2: Yeah. So, you know, you can try to see uh, what happens when you stop playing a little bit.
0: Yeah, see you what know. happens. And it's going to be scary. There's going to be pushback for sure.
2: Yeah, but uh, it also can be quite liberating, it's you know? It's
0: so liberating on the other side.
2: So, um, yeah, I give it a shot, you know?
0: And then, yeah, like the other piece, um, that we just wanted to briefly talk about, which Jay already mentioned, is just the idea of like the socialization of social media. And it's like, you know, this idea of shifting the culture from the inside is like an individual approach where each of us can start to make changes. But ultimately, we're doing this on fucking platforms owned by billionaires, and it's disgusting, you know? Yeah. Um, And so, I don't know. It's it's a bigger topic than this episode, but we kind of wanted to just leave with the thought of like, what would it mean to socialize social media, you
2: know? As socialists maybe we should be thinking about this you know like i think the social media started out as part of the superstructure and then it became part of the base and now it's just this like this like fundamental technology for fucking surveilling and controlling people's communications and that's an issue man that we need to be thinking about as socialists you know um it's it's the major communications platform of our civilization now so like what are we going to do about that
0: and do you really want to be at work for like Facebook and Instagram when you get home from work? Like, do you really want to be producing profit for these assholes? And like, yeah. I don't want to be doing that, but I am.
2: Yeah. Um, With like every waking moment. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like we're never not working at this point. Yeah. So I think it's like something to be having conversations about in our general conversations about socialism and like, what would it be like to like have a movement towards socializing social media? Yeah. Um. But yes, more on that later.
2: Yeah. So thanks very much. That's it for this episode.
1: Thanks for, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Like shirt, OG. Huh.